Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Lines open. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on 1-850-104-106. Yesterday, of course, was the day when uh, buses and public transport and trains and everything needed a face mask and it's compulsory. It's kind of interesting when you compare Ireland with the UK because uh, wearing face masks uh, here on buses, and if you don't... Um, if you don't, you get a fine uh, of two and a half thousand euro. Um, in the UK, the Irish, the English Times this morning is saying wearing face masks in shops on July 24th will face a fine. If you don't do it, will face a fine of 100 euro. So two and a half grand here for breaking face mask laws. And in the UK, uh, 100 euro. So a big difference there. But of course, the drivers are right when they say it's not their job to be enforcing the legislation. But the Echo is saying that by and large, people are very happy uh, with the uh, face mask uh, regula- uh, regulation. And I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time with the vox from the buses in the streets of Cork yesterday. So the government um, expected to reject any kind of harsh measures regarding curtailment in for international travel. Uh, their method are meeting today. Uh, we've had no deaths for the, for the second day reported uh, and low numbers of positive cases. So whether that will influence the NEFID meeting today with regards to a list of green countries and corridors that we can fly to, um, well, if you choose to fly, that is, uh, and also whether or not the pubs will open next week. So don't know, they're not really releasing a whole lot of information ahead of that meeting today. But um, Sam McConkie is saying in this morning's mail that tourists should be jailed if they don't isolate. In fact, he says uh, a spell in Mountjoy for half a dozen of them might make all of the difference. He's demanding regulations with teeth. Two and five tourists don't answer their phone. In fact, what's really happening is uh, at least two and five tourists and probably more either give the wrong number when they come here or they give the right number, but they just don't answer their phones. But what always makes me wonder is why is it that um, Americans, for instance, are allowed to fly in here? But we're not allowed to fly into America. Not that you want to anyway, but many of the states in a very bad way. And, you know, the same could be said for a lot of other countries like Australia and, and New Zealand. The, many of them have restrictions. But America is always of interest to me that they're flying in here, not a bother in the world. But there ain't no way you get into America. And U.S. passengers, I know that they're lower than, say, last year. The Irish Times this morning is saying that U.S. passengers coming into Ireland is 10% of what it was, say, say, last year. But it all seems to be quite up in the air in that regard. The pandemic unemployment payment won't end in August, but it won't be €350 from August up to Christmas. It's more than likely to drop back to €203. And there are a lot of reasons for that, of course. But one of them that's quite interesting is that anybody that lost their job in January and February um, gets €203. Anybody that lost their job in March gets 350 And that's inequitable going forward. It is hoped that many people, like a lot of people, are dropping off the COVID payments now and the PEP and the PUP and things like that. But extending that uh, to the end of the year will be confirmed, pretty much confirmed as it is. And another thing that parents and people who have recently had babies during pandemic won't be happy with it is the extended leave or the extra paid leave will be an extra six weeks of leave paid for by the state. The decision was taken by cabinet yesterday. So the parents of new babies will be given an extra six weeks. The extension of parents leave uh, from two weeks to five weeks is a significant enhancement of the rights of new parents and comes uh, on foot of a recommendation by the justice, uh, pardon, pardon me, by, imagine by the, uh, the, the justice minister, Helen McEntee. So justice would have been involved in this. Cabinet would have been involved in this. Health would have been involved in this. Uh, but while, while the extra paid leave 
um, makes this morning's examiner. It also makes the uh, independent. It's kind of confusing about how they work out how much because the Indo says this morning that it's three weeks extra paid leave. So it's three weeks plus the two, I suppose. Anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome. Uh, Douglas Shopping Centre um, are suing um, the manufacturers of the Opal Safira that went on fire. Um, it's, it's interesting really because they're suing for 30 million and I suppose you can't really say a whole lot about an impending court case but we know that there were defective issues and problems with Safiras in the past going on fire but we also now know the name of the people who owned the car and were driving the car it was the uh, um, Al Kafaji family from Lehanamore and Toker uh, who bought the car uh, in 2014 and the examiner and the Echo both carry the same front page story this morning and um, uh, she parked the car in the car park of the centre, was about to get out of the car to go shopping when she noted smoke at the front exterior of the car. Uh, it's claimed that the car that went on fire causing major damage, uh, immense damage, is what they're claiming in the in the lawsuit uh, for 30 million. I may well come back to that uh, in the coming days because, of course, there was this story knocking around at the time that she drove the car in while smoke was coming from it, and that wasn't true. And I saw the video footage, and I can tell you, it wasn't true. McCurtain Street's going to be transformed. A lot of different city streets, actually, they really are throwing the kitchen sink at this. McCurtain Street, Coburg Street, Bridge Street, uh, Camden Quay, areas around St. Patrick's Hill. Like, for instance, if you look at McCurtain Street, they're going to narrow the um, amount of surface for cars um, and they're going to extend the footpaths. They're going to put loads more trees in and things like that, and beautiful trees up of Patrick's Hill as well, so all good. You heard about the man re- arrested with regards to the death of uh, Frankie Dunn. I may well come back to that when there's more to report on it. But the shaky bridge isn't going to open anytime soon. In fact, there have been concerns and disappointment as to how slow that renovation is going for the shaky bridge. In fact, that and another construction that the same company's involved in, um, which is a, a 25 million euro state funded key extension. Uh, down uh, in West Cork. Same company involved in that, and both of them moving quite slowly, but Shaky Bridge way behind, apparently, and not due to open anytime soon. Bertie Hearn says eventually Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are likely to merge into one party. What do you think of that? Two parties to one. Story from the Sun this morning. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Eyes open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. And my apologies, I've a little bit of a shaky start this morning because technically the studio that I'm in is uh, a bit all over the place. So as soon as I can get it set up the way I need it to be set up, we'll, we'll plow on. Anyway, from yesterday, uh, we were out and about on the streets of Cork with regards to the buses and uh, people wearing masks or not wearing masks. So I'm going to go to that now. Seamus Wheelahan was out and about yesterday checking in with uh, people as to whether they were happy or indeed wearing masks the buses around the city centre. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not policing it. We, at the moment, we don't have the authority to do it. So we just kind of advise them, you know, might point at our own masks. And, you know, put a message across, but be nice about it. At the moment, no, even the Gardaí don't have the... They don't know how to police it. They don't know what to do either. So I think it's just going to take a few, maybe a couple of weeks before people start copping on and saying, oh, look, we're getting into trouble if we don't wear a mask. So let's put one on. It's not that hard. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Protects the driver and us and you. And everyone then protects me. It's kind of domino, you know. There's more use of masks today. I see a big difference. And I think it's only right. And I definitely think they should stop people coming from England because they won't self-isolate. I have a sister coming home to me now and she won't isolate. It's all right. It's annoying, Nick. 
because they're stopping people that's getting on that don't have them. Do you know what I mean? And then the bus drivers aren't wearing them either. If you look across the road, your man isn't wearing one. I agree with it. You do? Yeah, I think in such a close facility, it's safer. Very, very good idea. Brilliant idea. If everybody wore a mask, we'd be all safe. Everyone who got on the bus this morning, except the driver, wore a mask. Safer in a mask, yeah. I've been wearing a mask anyway. In the shops and that, yeah. I think it's, it needs to be done, but who's going to enforce it? This morning now, I've seen a few people without masks. Bus drivers aren't doing anything about it. Um, I'm a full-time carer, so since the very start, I've been using public transport, so I've been wearing masks, but seeing other people then just not taking the same cautions as I need to be safe while I'm doing this to make sure the person I'm caring for isn't going to get anything. And just kind of infuriates me to see that bus iron just seem to be flaunting it. There's no one said, not our problem. Absolutely agree with it. Yeah, it's, it's anything to keep us safe, people have to do it. But uh, I've been on a bus, a couple of buses this morning, and I noticed, I noticed you have the, the odd food that'll come out and won't wear them. You know, so they'll have to enforce the law on that, I reckon. And I just saw a guy getting on the bus there, and no mask, and he just walked straight on. I suppose it's not up to the bus driver to enforce it, but they, they, should, um, they should call the police, like, call the girls. Well, there's firing against it, really. No, I put it on when I'm going on the bus. And I put one on when I'm doing the supermarket. But as for anything else, I don't. I think it's stupid, to be honest. It's one of people, people that can't wear them, like, if they have breathing problems or something like that, you know? Doesn't make sense, does it? It's not fair to the bus driver either, I don't think. Why do you have to enforce people to wear one, you know what I mean? Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. There's a lot of people that can't wear them. It's proven that they're dangerous because you're not breathing the oxygen. So it, I don't think it should be made mandatory. One of the people that have underlying issues that can't wear them. And my son's breathing is very bad and he has to wear and get on the bus. It's not fair. Um, I think that's kind of stupid because, like, I think it should be made mandatory but not um, be fined after six months in jail because the government's bringing in tourists anyway and letting people go out of the country. So I, I think it's stupid as well. OK, that's just a broad selection of people who were on the streets of Cork, some of them on and some of them not on buses. Amongst them, a bus driver says it's not their job to be policing the wearing of masks. But they came in all shapes and colours, apparently, from cheery red bandanas to disposable pale blues um, and all sorts of different fashion statements being made. On Lee said, if you don't wear them, apparently a two and a half grand fine or six, <laughs> six months in jail. I mean, there's no way anybody is ever going to be sent to jail for six months. Not a tourist either, even though some medics now are saying that tourists should be jailed if they don't isolate for the fortnight. Rachel, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How thank, are you? Thank you for holding. I do appreciate it. That's now, right. um, you, you have Irish connections, so just talk me through that. But you're living in the UK, is it? That's right, yeah. Now, I'm from Dublin, I'm from Dorky, and I've been living in the UK now for about uh, 18 years. Okay. Um, but we holiday down in West Cork every summer. I've actually been down for 47 years. I've never missed a year. But, um, yeah, so we're... we're we, yeah, what part of West Cork? Uh, Castle Townsend got married here, and everything. Yeah, and just I've never missed a never missed a summer. So, have so, you always uh, only gone to West Cork for forty-seven years on your holidays? Do you ever go anywhere else? I do. <laughs> no, I do. I go other places, but we always make it very special to us down here. My dad lives down here uh, half the time, and but I'm originally from Dublin. But um, yeah, it's a very special part of the world. Where okay. We love it. Okay. So you came home uh, from the UK yeah. for a few weeks' yeah. holidays. And what's the protocol yeah. now? Well, we actually, we were supposed to be coming for a month. And um, obviously with the COVID crisis and everything, we, and also my dad was down here and I hadn't seen him uh, 
nearly well, I saw him Christmas he came to me for Christmas and uh, I said to my husband my kids schooling had stopped they were doing A-levels and GCSEs and I said look if we're going to do this we have to do this right and um, can you work from home and my youngest son believe it or not they're still doing school in England so he's uh, doing school at home at the moment in the house and uh, he, I said we're going to do this right and um, we have to do this properly and so my husband said yeah I can work from home he checked it out with his company so we extended our trip to six weeks. Uh, so we have very, very lucky. We have a great friend who has an empty house um, two kilometres outside Castle Townsend. So we haven't even, we haven't even turned right outside the gate. Um, we came in on the boat and we're here for two weeks and then we will move into our usual uh, house in, uh, in Castle Townsend. Um, but I was on to the owner and told her what we were doing, told her when we were coming in, told her we were isolating. The supermarkets in Skibbereen have been amazing. They delivered... Uh, we didn't stop. We stopped once um, on the way down from the ferry and came to the house and we haven't left. And why are you being so vigilant? Why are you... Yeah, walk near your home, is it? Yeah. yeah. But why yeah, are you being so vigilant when many others aren't? Because because I think it's uh, it's each person has to do the right thing. And I think that's... What's slightly worrying me at the moment is that everybody thinks, or a lot of people are thinking, that um, everybody's coming off the boat or the plane and they're not doing the right thing. There are people who, you know, I have total respect for the environment that I'm in, but also I wouldn't want somebody to say that to me that I wasn't doing it for myself. I mean, I think we all have to, we have a moral compass and we have an obligation to do what's right. And it's scary. The COVID crisis is scary. And where I came from in England, we didn't have a lot. We were very lucky. My kids, we all adhered to the rules. And I think people have to do that if you want to be accepted I want to be able to look people in the eye when they say to us you know how long have you been here and say I did quarantine for 14 days I promise you and I, I couldn't do that if I didn't do that I, I couldn't I couldn't I, I've got three teenage kids I've got to set them on the right path I can't do that so I wouldn't I, I just think more, more, there are more people that I think are adhering to rules if then maybe not. I don't know the statistics. I haven't been called, well, by the way, though. I've been uh, waiting for the government to call me. Okay, I was just going to talk you through that. You <laughs> came in to Ireland yeah. from uh, Hollyhead, Hollyhead into yeah, Dublin Port. When? Saturday. So we drove up um, and we did, stopped once. Uh, and then we got on the boat, got a cabin, had our masks, had antibacterial wipes, had gloves, you name it, had uh, gel. Uh, didn't you had a packed packed picnic? I uh, got off the boat at Dublin Port and drove straight down to and stopped once the other side of Cork. Yes, but who 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 did you get a, a form to fill in? Did you give phone numbers, yeah. addresses? No, yeah, we did. Um, actually, that threw me. Funnily enough, in Hollyhead, the lady said to me, "Have you got your form?" And I had been to the hairdresser the day before in England and they said your form and you have to fill out a form about uh, temperatures and everything so I thought she was talking about that and I said no I didn't get a uh, form for temperatures and then I said do you mean the locator form and she said yes and I said oh yeah no have all that so showed it to her she she uh, looked at it approved it she counted the passengers in the car uh, went onto the boat all very nobody on the boat nobody on the boat really uh, we were probably no there were uh they were truckers. That was it. I mean, really, nobody on the boat. I've never seen it. So no caravans, no camper vans, nothing? No. No. I saw n- not one camper van. And I say it was all it was all uh, trucks. Yeah, freight. Yeah, okay. all freight. Because so much so, Neil, that I have three kids and my husband and I, we couldn't get a one bed. They only had two bed cabins. I couldn't get a one bed cabin. They were all sold out. So it's all the freight. 
Um, and then we got off at Dublin Port very easy. Of course, there's nothing on the roads. And we drove straight down and we stopped um, the other side of Cork for petrol. But, wait, but just, uh, just uh, we need to wind back. Yeah. When you got to Ireland, did anybody yeah. ask for your phone number? Yeah, they asked. We got to Ireland and there was a guy, uh, there was a couple of guys uh, who stopped us and they said, do you have your passenger locator form? Handed it over and I said, we're on our way down to West Cork to my dad, see my dad. And uh, we had our numbers on it and I filled it out properly. Yeah, he did check us. Absolutely. Okay, okay, but nobody has called you. And we're hearing this morning that um, tourists are either giving the wrong number are giving yeah. the right numbers, but on answering, not answering the phones then when they're being contacted yeah. some days later. You're aware of that. No, clearly you're not I one of those. Um, no, and there's a private number came in the other day, funnily enough, and I answered it very efficiently. And it was my best friend from Dublin. She said, what are you doing? I said, I thought you were the government. <laughs> but it wasn't anybody <laughs> ask, asking you. No, yeah. I haven't had a call. And I've been, I've been thinking, I, was, oh, I thought I might. Um, and we put our email addresses on there as well and the house that we're staying in in West Cork. Um, and it's all there. So you haven't seen your dad then and won't until yeah. Saturday week? No, he dropped in a, a loaf of bread to the garden, saw him in the garden, and he's been very good because he was cocooning in Dublin um, and he came down when he was allowed to travel outside outside his region. Um, I've been really impressed um, by by the people and adhering to the rules, which I just think it's brilliant and that's why the numbers are so good in Ireland. Um, I've been really, really impressed by that, and, and I'll see him on uh, on on Saturday. Yeah, well, there's, there's a yeah. bit of a debate going on as to whether the numbers well, are as good as people are making out. So, so your husband, who has an English accent, hasn't had anybody yeah. asking him, "What are you doing well, here?" Because no, you haven't, you haven't, haven't met anybody. Yet. You see, you actually no. haven't seen anybody. Yeah, and we. But and I have to say, my kids are. You know, my kids are Irish, but they've got English accents, and I and I have been saying to them, "Look, you're just going to." have to when we when we come out they've got loads of pals here from from west cork and and everything and i said you're just going to have to keep your voices down a bit unfortunately because people are just going to a just going to turn their heads look at you and you're just going to have to say we came in on this date we've done our two weeks quarantine we're here for six weeks uh, your problem will only here. start when you finish the quarantine of course that's when the questions yeah, will ask exactly yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah. we haven't seen anybody. So, and we're nearly there, you know, and two weeks is quite a long time, but um, we've been playing a lot of card games. <laughs> Watching um, a lot of TV, playing a lot of card games. So, so we've no television in the house. Oh. We've no television in the house, um, but, uh, but a lot of card games and we have the most magnificent views. Um, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, but it's a small sacrifice, in my opinion, in, a, in order for me to come back to see my family and for the kids to be, you know, back to their, I know. Ha- their half Irish. I know. And well, you're actually behaving as if you're positive, you see, and that's what they want people to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You have to. I think that's the way it is in order for you to, you know, but they, they, we were doing that in England as well. You know, I know the English figures are not as good at all. I know that. I know that completely. Um, and I'm a teacher and I, you know, I get all that from the schools closed. But but if you, if each person tries their bit, that's how you try and change things, I think. Okay, well, you have a bit of a stretch to do yet, don't you? What are you looking forward to? Seeing your dad, obviously, among other things. Seeing my dad, um, yeah, see my, my, my siblings are coming down in Jibs and Jabs because they always, they always holiday here as well. And seeing our local friends um, and just being able to turn right outside the village. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so, we haven't gone yeah, yeah. Really so the message is, don't lump us all in the same boat or no. box, if you like. You're doing the right thing. 
Yeah, and there's some people are. I know, you know, there's a lot of people. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Many of our friends who normally come over for the summer, they couldn't come this year because they, they didn't have a house to quarantine in. We were very lucky, Neil, that we were, had an empty house to quarantine in. And I, and I appreciate not everybody can do that. And we were, that's what, that's what, what was it we were able to do. And uh, I understand a lot of people are heartbroken that they can't get back because, and see family. And a lot of people, I haven't, I haven't seen my sister now. I was supposed to go back to Dublin in April. That was cancelled. I haven't seen her since last July. Um, and, um, I know. Yeah, it's just hard, like, but, but we were lucky. At the, at the weekend, I saw a troop of English Reg motorbikes. They were obviously holidaying together in a group, fair amount of them. Yeah. Uh, and they're even worse in the sense that they're going from town and village to town yeah. and village, from county to county to county. They're on yeah. tour around the country. And that's, yeah. you see, people yeah. regard that as, as reckless when we're trying to do the right yeah. thing and not go overseas, you know? Yeah, no, and I totally agree with you. And also, the other thing that I did find quite good was on the locator form, it did say to, to you, because I read it through um, and see what I was writing and everything. And it did say that if somebody on your on that boat Get, has COVID, you will be know, you will be contacted because also I would like to know, uh, you know, and that was quite good. Now whether whether they do contact you because I haven't been contacted in the first place. Well, it'd I be interesting. Know. Do come do come back to me if you do get a call. Yeah, I will. I so will see how I long will. it takes um, before you get that call. That'd be interesting yeah. bit of research. See how many days. So we're into and this I is three days. Called me the first week and then maybe called me the second week. But I, anyway, well, you're three yeah. days into quarantine now, aren't you? No, we're no, we're we're uh, nine days in. Oh my God! Last Saturday week. Oh right. my God! I I believe that you only came yeah. last Saturday. No, nine no, no, days, no, no, no phone call. I know. No, no, we came in on the on the on the fourth uh, the fourth of July. I thought it was and, last uh, Saturday. No. You're not going to no, get a sorry, call no, now. No, no. You're not going to get a call now. I'm not going to get a call now. I've been quite, I've been quite looking forward to getting a call to say yes, I have seen you. Isn't right that very disappointing? Doing the right thing and not getting a call so you can acknowledge I it. Know. I know. Not to get a star for not, not to get a time. It doesn't happen. Not to get a star. You won't get no star as the teacher's pet. No, <laughs> no. But at least I can walk down the village and I can walk into Skibreen and go. We did. We have done it. Rest assured. Put a sign. Know, put a sign around your neck. I quarantined I for a fortnight. I know. And I just said it to my husband. Should we put something in the car? And he said no. <laughs> well, Rachel, no. And I just said, but I, it, we're just going to have to explain ourselves. But that's what it. You know, th- you're not supposed to be on holidays at the moment, and we're back to really see family. So, so that's that's a small price we're paying. Listen, do come back to me and let me know how the other few weeks go for you. All right, it'd be great to talk I again. Will, of course. All right, Rachel. Thank cheers you very for now. Much. Thanks, Take Neil. care. So nine days in the country and no phone call. On the other end, they were hearing the nine o'clock news this morning that they say that they are calling tourists and some are giving the wrong numbers and some aren't answering their phone. Here's somebody doing the right thing for the last nine days. No phone call at all. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Back to the phone lines in a moment. I uh, hope you're keeping well. Just wanted to drop you a line to tell you that my three young daughters from Carrigaline in Cork, aged 8, 11 and 13, set up a little enterprise a few months back making face masks. Their enterprise is called the Funky Stitch Club. You'll find them on Facebook and Instagram. They hit 100 mask sales a few weeks ago and they donated 100 euro to Katrina Toomey at Cork Penny Dinners. They also made personalised face masks for Cork Penny Dinners. I'd appreciate it if you give them a little publicity and share their story as they're working very hard. Club at gmail.com is their email address if anybody would like to contribute or buy. Thanks for taking the time, says Lisa Scannell. Well, well done to your three kids. You don't name them, but 
to 8, 11 and 13 year old kids. Well done. This weekend I was in Kinsale. There was a tour boat where people were packed in like sardines. Other places were so busy and there was not much social distancing being witnessed. There were loads of Americans and Germans around. Uh, Then, just beyond Kinsale, 11 camper vans parked up, 9 with UK regs. There were no people in any of the vans, so they weren't self-isolating. It's all a farce, if you ask me. Self-isolating is advised, but no one is following through with it. Typical Ireland again, we're a laughingstock, says Sheila in Middleton. Which country is it? that you have to go into a, a nominated hotel and pay for the privilege for the two weeks. I think it could be Australia or New Zealand or something like that. Actually, no, dis, no disrespect to the people at Dingle because I want to be able to go back there again. But I was over in Dingle at the weekend uh, visiting my old pal Fungi. Um, and uh, I tied up and went ashore at one stage and were walking around. Dingle was busy, but nothing like this time last year, when really you would have had to step off the pavements and footpaths. But it, it was a, there was a bit of a buzz there. Many, many places still closed. What struck me as interesting was that the boats were still going out uh, for fungi. And I have to say, um, I, I got to see quite an amount of them, and I was watching them as people were sitting on them and going out on them and then going around for fungi. And it was a bit of a free-for-all, free to be quite honest with you. It struck me as bizarre that you can't go out to Skellig's on a boat with only 12 people on it. But yet all of these people were going out to visit Fungi and to say hello and wave to him and stuff like that. And they're all up on top of each other. So it makes very little sense to me, uh, you know, how we're kind of flahulic in some ways uh, and then completely over the top in others. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. Okay, you're annoyed with the other Rachel. Why is that? No, it's just the fact that, like, she's saying that, like, she, all right, she got off the boat. No, no, there's other people on the boat, like, you know, from England. There could be people from France getting on that boat. She, she said there was no her. one on it. There was no, she met nobody on it. There was only freight and drivers of trucks. Oh, my bad. Okay. okay. No, you're grand. No, you're I'm sorry, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. So she came all the way down, didn't stop at any shops. Like, it's, it's make, I don't know, I just got annoyed with that because, like, why didn't you stop at any shops? It's not like we have it. I get updates on my phone every morning and it's like, no, it's up to 23 people and that that's, no, it's 40 something thousand over in the UK. Like, I don't get Irish updates, I get English updates. I don't know how that happens on my phone, but it just does. What? So you, have you not got the COVID app? Well, uh, to be honest, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to know no more about it, Neil, to be honest. I know. But, like I people know. aren't doing their part here. They're really not. Like there's masks that you can buy that you can breathe through the, the fabric ones. You don't have to wear the medical masks. If they're the ones that are hard to breathe in. You know? And then she's coming over on quarantine for two weeks. We we've been quarantined for four months. Really? That long? Well, do you know, like we don't we don't go outside the country, like Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. You know, quarantine in Ireland, know, yeah. Yeah, we are yeah, in Ireland. So you, it's your belief then the tourists just shouldn't be here at all no, for any circumstances? No, they should have locked down the airports, Neil. They should have locked them down. See, the only down. thing that they did was got petrol, and then they're down in West Cork, and they're quarantining for a fortnight, uh, and then she'll be able to go and visit her dad. Yeah. But, like, if she's, that, if she's that vigilant about it, why didn't she just... I know, no, I understand the woman wants to see her dad. I appreciate that, but 
why doesn't she just stay at home if she's that worried about it? Like, if she's that vigilant by going straight down the road and not stopping at a shop and, you know, going straight... Like, she's looking at... She's, doing, she's doing an awful lot better than an awful lot of other tourists who are doing nothing she, at all. She, exactly. She is, she is now, to be fair, but that kind of just ticked me off when she said that she wanted to stop now in the shop. So I was like, it's not like we have it, like, you know? I think people are all different as well. Like, they look at you... As if you have it, you'll be afraid to kind of even... If you have a little tickle in your throat, you'll be afraid to cough. You have to, you have to apologize, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you know, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know? And then it's like, oh my God, everyone is looking then. Have you had anyone saying to you, I don't care, I don't care about COVID, give me a hug? Oh yeah, loads. I just keep running. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know hug, you're good. This pump, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, the COVID tracker app is there for you to download if you want, and then every day um, oh. you, you would check in. How would you download it? No, what, what's called the, the COVID? It's just the COVID tracker. Just go into the app store on your phone and type in COVID yeah. tracker. It'll come up. It's a little yellow icon. Download it. It's very simple. And then every day you can click in and tell them how you're feeling. Yeah, I'd prefer that note than the English one because I get more updates on the English. No, you don't want to know the I English am. numbers. You I want don't. To, yeah. yeah, I don't know what happens on my phone, but it, it just does. But what uh, what do you think of all the Cork people living in the UK coming home for the weekends, going out and about here, and then they're flying back? They show yeah, off. They show they, off on Instagram, um, and barely they shouldn't a lot of them be around. doing that, Neil. They shouldn't be because, like, even when you're going out, you and people have a few drinks in them. Do you think that they're sticking to their social distance? And these are Cork yeah. people living overseas, coming home to Cork and other cities, uh, yeah, partying with their mates, and then flying back again. Yeah, I think it's the Cork people making it worse. To be honest. Mind yourself. Really Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Actually, it's quite interesting because uh, like I watch this COVID tracker every day and I'm looking at it now and they say that well over a million, I don't know what the stat is, but could it be 1.2 or 1.3 million people downloaded the COVID tracker app? But, uh, but how many of them are actually checking in every day? Like the amount of check-ins now at 20 minutes to 10 of a Tuesday morning is just over 70,000. So what are the other million doing? I mean, at what stage will they check in? You would think that if we had the COVID tracker, unless I'm reading something wrong on this, you'd think that we have the COVID tracker downloaded on over a million phones, that we'd have over a million check-ins every day, but it's never, ever anything near that. Uh, okay, so lines open, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. We'll stay with it for now. Fiona, good morning. Hi, Anil. Okay, you, okay, let us not confuse those that are not speaking with an Irish accent, but who are living here, is it? Correct. Um, my husband is 25 years here. He's English. He's got an English accent. Cork Ridge car, thank goodness. But uh, working away here, solidly paying his taxes for 25 years, 45 hours a week, every single week since the 16th of March, stuck at home in an office upstairs, working away, first weekend away. And I had to say to him, we were down in Dingle as it happened, and I had to say, hon, best maybe not open your mouth too much in public in case they think you're visiting from abroad. What did he say when you said that? Uh, he said, well, he understood. So, you know, he, he, he knows I wouldn't say something stupid like that unless I had some reason for it. And he agreed that, you know, there were so many tourists around, a lot of different nationalities around Dingle. You could see the people in Dingle, in the restaurants, in the shops, very nervous when people were coming in, not sanitizing their hands, not wearing their masks. We were the only people, I'd say, in the whole of town wearing masks. And uh, so he, he, he realized, look, maybe just 
keep quiet and don't open my mouth too there much. There were a so lot of different tourists in Dingle, weren't there? I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because uh, mm. I was going to come back to that. But uh, I saw lots of groups of people uh, with the English accents, uh, Spanish, Italian. Yeah. I had a spot of lunch there and next to me on two separate tables because the group was so big they had to divide it into two. And they were about a metre or a metre and a half from me. Uh, and there were a big group of people from India. Now, the only thing about this is, I, I was thinking, sure, they could be working for Apple or working for but Google. That's the you thing, see, you see, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who was around us would, would, could easily have been a resident here, legitimately here, correct. not having travelled in at all. Yeah, we don't so know. I, we, no, we don't know. And, and I, I just worry that, like, these people, we're going to need them in the future. I hate that we, we are hating them right now. I hate that people are saying, stay away, stay away, you know, in, sorry, in a nasty way. I understand if people are nervous and saying, look, please just don't come right now. You're welcome in the future. That's the message we need to get out because we need our tourism. We need our tours coming back to us. We don't, like, we go to the States every year for holidays. We, we're going to cancel this. Um, we're going to lose a thousand euro with their um, you know, it's just the right thing to do. We think. Um, what is, but when we, is the holiday? The holiday is on the second of September in six weeks' so time. So why aren't they giving you a voucher? You can't. It they was, won't let you into America. Well, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping they will. But listen to Connor Pope regularly. Uh, it seems that we have no rights um, to demand a refund or um, a voucher, which we would accept for the future. But either way, if, if we're going to lose out, we're going to lose out because we are not travelling to a place where the, the, the virus is rampant mm. to bring it back to my elderly dad and, uh, and various other people around us. So we're happy to do that, but I don't want to go to America next year and somebody hears my Irish accent and says, oh, you're the people who didn't want us in your country. We don't but want you either. they're here. They're here. Alarm grows. This is the mail this morning. As alarm grows over the number of high-risk U.S. visitors just off their flights who are mixing in bars and restaurants, particularly in Dublin. So Totally agree with you, but did anybody tell them to not come? No. There is nothing up on their website. They have to go on to the embassy website. And who's going to go on the embassy website if they already have their visa? So there's nothing on the, the, the U.S. sites, uh, travel advisory sites, telling them that Ireland isn't welcoming them. There are plenty of other countries they're being told they're not allowed to go to, but we're not one of them. So, yeah. you know, so, so I'm just saying, like, the Americans are coming in because nobody's telling them they're not allowed and, to. And tell me, with your, with your husband, who's been here working, paying taxes, wearing a family here for 20 years, did anybody say anything to him? No, not, no not, not at all. Because I guess because there were so many tourists, you know, that you'd want to be saying something to every single person that you were passing on the street. You know, like there was a Japanese family next to us and they were speaking Japanese. I can't imagine that, well, sorry, they may, be, may have been living here, but, you know, they weren't bothering us. We weren't bothering them. We they were may, they they may not. We don't know, you see. And, and, and also, it's interesting because I was thinking about this yesterday and I, I see texts on it this morning. Here's an example. Please let Neil know that all of the yellow number plates that people are seeing may well be Northern Irish plates because this Correct. is the time of the year when many people in Northern Ireland escape in their droves because of the 12th of July marching. Uh, like a lot of Northern Irish Catholics like come out of the north for that period of time. A lot of them go to Donegal, incidentally, but many Correct. more go on holidays in the south. 
to avoid and a lot of them don't a lot of people are saying they don't want them either but there's nothing to stop them at all because it has been decided that we're one island and that they're entitled to come over the border with uh, without even filling a locator form yeah, so yeah. Wh- how can we give out about them how can we be nasty to them how can we demand that they it's, go back home well you see it's the confusion about uh, you know, there's, well, that's there's it. no hard and fast law with regards to yeah uh, you know, we, we know we we know that we we are advised not to leave the country, but you still can, yeah. yeah. And we yeah. know that tourists can come into the country, and they're supposed to, but they yeah. because they've been told they can, but yeah. they need to isolate. But you know, mixed messages, mixed messages. messages. Right. I, I understand they're not not cancelling international flights because we need the, the cargo come in, but we should be actually telling the whole world. If, if, sorry, if, if we do decide that we don't want the tourists in at all, we should just be putting out the message right through all their embassies all around the world, please don't come in here. And it isn't just the US, by the way. There were like 12 or 13 different um, countries mentioned by Dr. O'Glynn last night uh, as, as having brought the virus in. You know, much like far-flung Malaysia, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Portugal even, UK. So it's not just the Americans. I'm worried that we're going to put out a message that we don't like Americans. And I love Americans. We love America. And I want to continue to be as welcome in America as I always have been, you know? Okay, okay. I think, thank you for that, Fiona. I think Joanne will be delighted to hear that you love Americans. Thanks, Fiona. Joanne, good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Now, what's your, what's your own scenario? I'm just ringing just to wish my aunt and my aunt and uncle, um, Helen and Kevin McCarthy, they have just moved back from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania after 26 years in the UK or the USA. And they've been self-isolating in the photo lodges there. And I'm just about to pick them up at half 10 after 14 days to bring them home to Coast. Oh, big day then after 14 days of quarantine. Yes, yes. Are they excited? Oh, excited is an understatement. Yes, I can't wait to get just to get in and get to see everybody and hugs and kisses. And it's been a long, it's been a long time coming, but we can't wait. Okay, have you said anything to them about American accents in Ireland at the moment or anything like that? Oh well, no. Even though Kevin has gone twenty six years, they could not be more cold. So the the accents are are okay. He still he still seems to have it. She 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 definitely still has hers. So All right, and do you know if either of them got a phone call in the past fourteen days? Uh, no, they didn't. Wow, that's incredible. Two different people who've been quarantining on this program this morning. Your relatives for 14 days back from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, Rachel back from the UK, nine days later, still no phone call. Yeah, no, 14 days, no phone call, no. That's kind of strange. Anyway, what's the plan today? What are you going to do? Are you going to have a celebratory lunch? Or are you cooking oh, something? The, the balloons are all over the car and I'm ready to pick them off and um, straight back so they can dump off more bags. And, oh yeah, all the family will be around and, and it'll, be, it'll be a lovely celebration to have everybody together. And are they home for good? They are. They've moved home for good. Timing could be a bit better, but it's still a very exciting thing for them to do. It is. It is. It is. Very exciting. All, all excitement right. here now. Okay. And they had a nice place for the last two weeks down in Photo, didn't they? They did. It was beautiful. She was sending photographs there daily. They had beautiful surroundings and the walks were lovely and going to entertain themselves that way. But um, it was lovely. Okay, well, listen. But anxious to get home. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I le- and you're anxious to see them, so I'll let you get on. Thanks, Joanne. Yeah.
Fantastic. Thanks a million. Take okay, care. So two different quarantines this morning on the air. Neither of them got a phone call. You also f- maybe understand the reasons why Sam McConkie is saying um, that um, tourists should be looking at three months in Mount Joy. He made his call yesterday and made numerous pleas for tougher sanctions and a red list of countries where the risk of COVID-19 is dangerously high. So I'll come back to all of that, particularly if you think that this is just completely over the top. Yeah, Maybe you might have... A, uh, a, a line in your own belief with regards to COVID that we should just stay apart and engage in the proper protocols and we'll all be fine. Text on that, whatever may be on your mind. Text 0868104106. But yesterday, um, there was a, an update in the investigation into the death of father of three, Frankie Dunn, who's 64 years old. And now a file's gone to the DPP because a man was released without charge. Um, he was arrested uh, over uh, assisting a suspect to flee the country before officers could arrest him for questioning about the murder of uh, a homeless man in Cork. Ardea preparing a file for the DPP after releasing without charge a 54-year-old man arrested over assisting a suspect to flee the country. Um, this is uh, an investigation into the death of Frankie Dunn last December. Um, and they arrested a foreign national in the Ballinlock area of Cork Southside at half past seven yesterday morning on suspicion of assisting an offender. That's as much as we know on that one. But uh, Monica Butler Dunn is the late Frankie Dunn's sister and she joins me by phone. Monica, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for taking the call. And on behalf of all of us, although it's 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 some time now since Frankie died, um, our condolences on your loss, the loss of your, your brother. Um, so, some relief that at least the guard investigation is continuing at a pace, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, we were, we were worried. We were worried for a while. Like we were kind of saying, like it was going, it was going to go nowhere. But you it's, know, like it's, it's taking its course. I know. I know you. I know you're making the news today because you describe where Frankie dies as a, as a house of horrors. Did you visit the house? We did. We went out. We went out the following morning, and um, we didn't go into it. We didn't because barricaded from the outside. Like you, you really need to see it to. I can't explain it. It's a real, real old building. It's very eerie, very spooky. Yeah. Doesn't very, actually doesn't actually suit the area in which it's situated at all. Sure doesn't. Yeah, I'd say a hundred years ago, maybe. Maybe a hundred years ago. Maybe a hundred years ago. And how are yeah. you coping? Well, we'll take them one day at a time. We're just hoping for the best. Like the, the justice system left me down big time with my son John Butler. He was murdered in 2002, and they, um... No result on that, no? The, the court collapsed, and it's a technicality. All right, know. well, listen, I, I, I might go into that with you at a further date, then I get some information on it. But how are, how is Frankie's family, how are Frankie's kids sort of de- dealing with all, all this? Just taking one day at a time. They're, they're hoping for justice to get some bit of closure. Like, it's not going to bring him back. And it's really not going to. It's, it's really not going to. Um, justice is what you want. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if justice was done, they might they might continue. I mean, he died a horrific death. He really and truly horrible, did. Horrible, horrible, in a horrible, horrible house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And left like that. I think somebody yeah. who was looking for their cat found him. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. He was. Um, there was a heart. Like, it was a horrible way to die, but where he died, in a horrible, horrible place, and left on his own overnight. 
Um, he was with the family at Christmas time, I believe, was he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was here about three weeks. Like, in a sense, he wasn't. He was connected to Simon, but in a sense, he wasn't homeless. He was staying with Simon, wasn't he? He wasn't. He was across the road from where he died in an apartment. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, he had, he had, a, he had a, an apartment uh, assigned to him, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It was directly, directly across from where, where he died. But like, in a sense, he wasn't homeless because our doors was always open to him. And he would come and he would come and go and visit family, wouldn't he? Oh God, he would. Yeah, he'd come and he'd stay maybe two days, and you get up the following morning and he'd be gone. If you locked your door, he'd take the keys up to your own bedroom. He'd be gone out the window. We just couldn't hold on to him. I know. Misfortune had addiction issues, didn't he? Yeah, he had. Yeah, drink only, don't I? Drink. Yeah, he liked his he liked his cans, and I think yeah. that, that maybe maybe that house, if I remember correctly, was used for drinking. Was it? Well, I really didn't know nothing. I really didn't know he was going in and out. We didn't really know he was going in and out there. Like, it was just convenient. That was idle and derelict. And they would use it for a bit of company with others, I suppose. Maybe so. I, I'm not... See, I, I, I don't know. Like, there was none of us expecting this. We knew the streets would take him eventually because he was getting old. And we couldn't keep them. We couldn't make him comfortable at home. Was he about 64, I think, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And was was his health starting to fail him? No, he was. He, no, he was healthy. You know, bitten the chest. He said, "All right," but um, he used to get his antibiotic maybe twice in the winter. You know, to clear up a chest infection. And did he ever seek help, or did he ever talk to you about wanting to sort his life out, get some comfort and happiness into it? Or was he was he was he happy anyway with the way he was? He 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 wouldn't think that way. Do you know, when you're an alcoholic, all you think about is drink and more drink. Yeah, yeah. You you don't you, you don't think of the, you don't think of the future because alcohol is going alcohol is taking over your whole. I know. Yeah. Body, mind, and yeah. But did you try and try and try? Oh, we tried. We tried. We tried everything. We tried everything in our power. For years, we tried everything in our power. As a matter of fact, about three weeks before he died, he came up here. He came up to my house. And uh, he was about two o'clock. I said, Frankie, I said, don't go near the gas. And I said, I'm locking the door. I said, I'm taking the keys up of me. And he was, he was gone the following morning. He got out the window. So there was no holding on to him. I know, I know, I know. And, um, but, uh, the, was, the he, house, was he your younger brother or older brother? He was a younger brother. He was a baby. Was he the smallest? He, he was the baby of the family. It was eight of us there. And he was, he was the youngest. But um, he, uh, that house is fit, is fit for no purpose at all at all. It's just a derelict building. And the horror and the way, the way, the, the way he died, it should be demolished. Yeah, I don't know the backstory to the house. I don't know who owns it, whether there's an issue with regards to maybe whomever did, maybe it would be dead. I don't know. You know the way you see these houses and you often wonder, how come that's left like that for so long, you know? What I can't understand, that the council is just leaving it stand there. It could be probably privately owned, Monica, you know? Yeah, but this council surely, surely... Oh, I know what you're saying, how it'll be left in the state that it is for so long, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If, if like if 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 it was a house condemned, they'd knock it. 
I know. Where was where was Frankie born? He was born in Cork. And what was his earlier life like then? He was he 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 had children. He's he he's three three children. Well, he four children actually. But his eldest kind of never got in contact with us. You know, yeah. she just didn't want him. But with with his daughter. Yeah, he was he was he worked and he he had his driver's license and he he did a bit of work here and there. And he was very pleasant, you know. He was pleasant and placid. I mean, he never had no one in his life. And in his earlier years, did did he did he hold down a job? Was he was he doing okay? He was he was like Mister Delbo, you know, here to here and there. He'd do a bit here and do do a bit there. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd yeah. be a builder's labourer one week, and he'd be dealing out scrap cars another week, and you know, self-employed. <laughs> I know what you're saying. But come here, you've had terrible tragedy visit upon you, your brother and before that, uh, your son, John. We had you. I had you. John Butler shot at point-blank range by a masked gunman minutes after an argument over a two-euro bag of chips. That's nearly nearly 20 years ago. Yeah, you said that loud and clear. (laughs) Exactly. You never get over that. No. You know, you, you, you don't. You don't, you don't get any... You, you you never get over a tragic death. But when a person comes along and mold you in cold blood, for no reason at all at all. I know, and I'm just reading some of the press reports at the time where, where you said, like like every time, that somebody has always got information that could help an investigation with, with all of these uh, you know tragic stories. You say people know who did it, the guards know who did it, but the killers are just out there walking around the snaky way they did it, they gave them nowhere to run, they have no conscience and no remorse. Do the, do the guards still say they're investigating all these years later? Well, it's, like as far as I know, that, that court case collapsed because the, 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 the witness in question hmm. tracked the statement and he said... I remember it now, yeah, I know, yes. I know. So, no, so again, in this case, well, hopefully they will be with Frankie, but you were denied justice or answers. Of course I was. Of course I was. So was his son. He's he's he was about three years old. He he was actually out that day with his son. I went down to collect him. There was a charity event in Blarney Street, a bicycle race. Oh. And they went down they went down for the day and they took their child with him. And where is John Paul buried? Oh, who's John Paul now love? Sorry, sorry, pardon me. Where where is your your son buried? You know, St. Michael's. So he's buried in St. Michael's, and yeah. so is your brother Frankie. Yes, we buried my, my we buried our brother Frankie with my mum. And your son John is in the same graveyard. Yeah. Your only son. That's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. That's tragic. Listen. I do appreciate you coming on the air at short notice like this. I really do. Um, as to as to whether they whether they demolish the house of horrors, who knows? Only time will tell. But um, let's keep an eye on the guard investigation with regards to Frankie's death. All right. Okay. Thank you. Take care, Monica. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Little over time, lads. My apologies for that. We'll come back up to ten on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show with Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to Tesco.ie. Text 0868104106. My conversation with uh, Monica Butler um, brought back the death of her son to me again because I do recall it at the time and indeed also 
Uh, I was just uh, doing some Googling and researching it there at 10 o'clock, the death of her husband, John. So what we know at this stage now is that with regards to the death of Frankie Dunn, Gardy did arrest a man, uh, released him without charge. File now goes to the DPP uh, with uh, with a charge. This this man who was arrested is 54 years old. He was arrested and questioned over assisting a suspect to flee the country. The guards believe that this man assisted a 29-year-old Romanian man to flee the country by helping him to first travel to Belfast and then to go from Belfast to Edinburgh from where the suspect caught a flight home to Bucharest. Within day of the killing, you may remember members of the Garda Shikona detectives actually travelled to Eastern Europe uh, and uh, they went to interview he had no powers of arrest in Romania, but the Romanian police had already located the man. Um, they saw the man who fled, and they requested him to voluntarily attend a local police station for interview in the presence of four detectives from Ireland and a Romanian member of Angarda Jakarta who travelled from Cork. He did attend the police station and spent several hours answering questions. So that's the, the latest with regards to with regards to Frankie, but his death was absolutely horrific. Um, I won't go into the, the graphic details of it, but he was decapitated and dismembered and found in the grounds of Castle Grainer House on the Borean Manor Road. A neighbour was searching for their missing cat. Uh, I think somebody said this morning, uh, with regards to, you know, who owns Castle Grainer House or, you know, why it's been in that kind of condition for as long as it is. And I'll come back to that in a minute because I'm told that uh, maybe whoever had it um, passed away. Maybe did I see a text in that regard? But this is the second time, of course, that uh, third time that Monica has uh, tragedy befall her because she mentioned in my conversation with her there the death of her son, John Butler. Now, he was shot at point blank range by a masked gunman. Um, he was out for the day, actually, um, and it all ended up as an, in a, an argument with Chipper. If I remember correctly, it was an allegation of queue skipping to buy chips, if I remember correctly. Uh, and uh, John was out with his fiancée, Rachel, uh, and their child, and they were watching men dressed as, I think there was a pram race going on at the time, and they were having a good laugh, and they lined the streets with friends and neighbours and uh, watched all of the carry-on. Uh, they stopped in the chipper on the way home, uh, and an argument broke out of, over an allegation of queue jumping, I believe, if that was, you know the story that was being reported at the time, uh, and he was shot at point-blank range. Now, what happened then was that the trial collapsed in 2006 because a key witness claimed memory loss, you might recall it. Um, and I, I know that Monica's probably listening now, and she's reliving it all, not that it ever goes away, but her, her grief-stricken husband, John, wasn't able to cope with the death of his son, uh, and he took his own life in 2006. And I remember talking to Monica at the time. She desperately tried to save him at the time. Um, so, that, you know, awful tragedy to befall one family. But, uh, you know, thank you for coming on, Monica, in these difficult times. I mean, you think something like that might happen to you once, but to have it happen three times, you know, to lose loved ones under awfully sad circumstances. Uh, the house where poor Frankie died, somebody says to me, belongs to someone elderly who's in a home, as far as I know. It's, it's very sad, says somebody by text here, but that's why it's sitting there in the condition that it is. The person who got in touch says, very sad, poor Monica suffered enough with her own son being murdered. It's awfully tragic, yes, but, you know, uh, to lose your son and then to lose your brother and to lose your husband to suicide, it's awful. I mean, I often wonder how people get the strength to go on. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Yesterday, at a very enlightening conversation with Timmy Long, who was very honest and open about his life and, 
in fairness, brilliant in the way that he managed to turn it around. Remember I was talking about the Two Naris podcast when I was chatting with uh, with Timmy. He does that with James Leonard. Now, you might have seen James some time back giving a very honest open and harrowing account of his life uh, to Tommy Tiernan on Tommy Tiernan's television show. So himself and Timmy obviously got together and said, like, how can we help people who've, who are going through what we went through um, to help them to come out the other side. So I spoke to one half of the double act yesterday, uh, Timmy, and James joins me by phone this morning. James, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Ah, it's lovely to catch up with you eventually. I actually went and, and Googled some of the um, clips on television last night again. I mean, you, were, you didn't hold back, in fairness to openly discussing the problems in your life and how you overcame them. Did you hear Timmy yesterday? I did, I heard Timmy, and you know why you were very kind to him, and he spoke very well, I know he was nervous, but he comes across really well, and it's just about, when I went down to Tommy Turner show that time, it was just about being genuine, and just being honest, and people kind of, people kind of, they respond to that well, you know, so there's no facade with myself and Timmy. Yeah, well Timmy ended up in treatment at the age of 15, you know, so yeah. young. Yeah, very young, and over in France as well, on a farm, wasn't the 28th day of detox, like, <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. and like much of it was his, you know, again his his young life, uh, yeah. no coping skills. You know, it 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 was he had an awful start. Like, was it the same with you, or you you were a little older, weren't you? No, I'm a, I'm a, a little younger than Timmy. No, I but I'm saying when you day. you started heroin, like you started heroin at you were in your twenties yeah. at that age. I, I was saying that and the podcast, you know, Timmy is four years older than me and his generation just missed the heroin. When heroin kind of really rampant in Cork around 2005, that was kind of my generation coming up then. But um, yeah, so I suppose it was around the time of the recession as well, you know, and people were out of work, the heroin came in and that's kind of what destroyed me really. But even before the heroin, Neil, it was benzodiazepines, it was tablets and alcohol and I would have been in a lot of trouble before the heroin even, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. You just kind of you graduate upwards through substances, you know, a lot of the time, don't you? Exactly. And like when heroin first came in, I was smoking it, you know, and I was in denial about. I had the idea of a heroin user being, you know, intravenous street use, and I said, as long as I'm not doing that, I'm okay. Which was denial. Of course, I ended up doing that as well. But did somebody you know, actually tell you that back in the day? You'll be grand if you smoke it. Yeah, somebody did say that to me, but. Yeah. Like when I was offered heroin originally, I didn't want it, you know what I mean? Because of the idea of using a needle was horrifying to me. He says, no, you smoke it, it's grand this way. And that was how it started. But then you become so dependent on the drug and smoking it doesn't really do anything for you. So you just graduate onto needles. And even if I did have a phobia of needles, when I was addicted to heroin, if there was no phobia. It's crazy to think, you know, but I was actually using needles on myself. Whereas if I go for a blood test in the morning, I can't look, you know. I know. But is it is it true that it was in prison you got it? Yeah, it was actually in Cork District Court. It was my first, um, the first time I came across it. And then there was an associate on the outside where we used to kind of swap drugs and that. And he had it one day and it was just kind of a, a gradual introduction, kind of. It was, we were smoking it on tinfoil. I thought it just felt so good to use it, you know. Like, like Timmy, you know, yesterday I would have had a lot of issues around self-esteem, confidence. I would have had anxiety, all this. And when I take the drug, the tablets are the heroin. I was relieved of all that. Yeah, know. Yeah, so yeah. then I continued to pursue that. Because it was just like a self-medication, really. Yeah. You said Cork District Court. I mean, I, I, I heard... Well, you didn't actually get drugs in the court. 
I did in the holding cell when I was sentenced. I went in for... In the holding did. cell of the court? Yeah. See, what happens is when somebody's going into court and they know they're going to jail, they'll sometimes have drugs on their person, maybe between the cheeks of their behind, let's say. So when I was put into the holding cell, there was another fella in there, and he had some, so we used in the holding cell. That was my first introduction to it. Did anybody notice that you were... No, there was... No, like in the holding cell, there's a kind of a small, um, there's a small glass peephole on the outside. But the officers, they, they only check every now and then, you know. And how was it getting into Cork Jail then? A lot of the lads were bringing it down from the Dublin prisons. Because Corkwood had a reputation as being a clean prison yeah. compared to the Midlands prisons and the Dublin prisons. So you'd have a lot of Dublin lads coming down to Cork to actually detox. Because Cork Prison had a, a good gym at the time as well. Like Freeway was the only gym in Ireland. So. But a lot of the lads come down from um, Dublin, I think, in my opinion, that's how the heroin really kind of became big in Cork. I remember in 2005, there was a few of us on the air in Cork Prison. Um, a few of us, obviously, out of 300, there would have been a handful of us on heroin. That was 2005. In 2006, there was only a handful that wasn't on heroin. It really kind of took over. And, OK, there was a huge change in, in 12 months. But yeah. how, were yeah. you able to, how were you able to smoke it undetected in jail? Well, you're, when you're locked in, you're not checked, there's not cameras on you 24-7 or there's no officer looking 24-7 you know it's easy really so nobody would smell it even or anything like that no no if they smelt this they'd probably come in the door but by the time they open the locks you're, you're going to hear them coming down the landing anyway first and so what? when you hear footsteps you're going to hide it and, and then by you... the time they get in the door it's gone so were you were you guys buying it off each other or swapping it or were, pe- were people bringing it in as visitors exactly. It, it, the way the way I was working at the time was if somebody knew somebody that was coming in, they'd get a message passed to them and that's how it works really. They'd come in then with us in, in their cavity, let's say. Yeah. And were, were you in you were clearly in for crime, was it robbery? No, it was more um petty stuff really, Neil. It was all Stupid. under twelve months. Yeah. yeah, like car theft when I was younger and then theft when I was, you know, addicted to the heroin and was possession of small amounts and stuff like that, you know. Was this to feed the to feed your addiction? Exactly, yeah. Well when I was younger it would have been erratic behaviour full of alcohol, you know, and then as I got a little bit older and the addiction progressed, it was generally to feed the addiction drums on. Everything I ever done was fueled by drinking drugs, you know. Since I gave up drinking drugs, I've never committed a crime. Never Absolutely. Because you know, you're, you're in your sober senses, 100%. But on, but on television, you looked a million dollars. I'd say in the, with the ravages of heroin, you looked far from that. Thanks a million. That was my wedding suit. At least I got, good. I, think I got two wares out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? The body regenerates once you give it time. Um, and I suppose that's the purpose of what we're trying to do now is just to show people that if you give it a break and you try, you can build your life back. You can build your health back. You can get your family back in your life. You can have a job and marriage and education, whatever you want to stay for you. But do no possibilities when you're addicted to that stuff. But did you try to, and f- did you try to get clean and fail for a while? Yeah, a lot of times I was in a few treatment centers and I would have been linked in with key workers in prison, you know, and, um, it's just the fear of an anxiety of giving up your old identity and moving away, and it's just 
it's just an enormous, enormous task to undertake, you know. And would you and come up so, with excuses to use again then, is it? Not even excuses. It was just the feeling of when I'm in the, let's say if I'm in prison or I'm in treatment centre, I'm safe, I'm okay there, then I'm, I'm very determined. But as soon as I get out on the day, it's just an uncontrollable fear and anxiety what used to come over me. And it's, it's very hard to describe, but I was always looking for relief from that. You see, isn't it very difficult that people who come out of treatment, and I have experience of that with, with friends of mine in the past who, who did go through treatment but sadly died because after the treatment was over, there was nothing. Exactly, it is. But the, the time when I did get clean eventually, I was well supported by Cox Simon Community and I got out and I think that made a difference. You know, for 12 months I was in their care, I had a key worker and I was able to build a plan and work you know and kind of build a life and then after the first two months then I just became more confident you know and I was able to become independent So you managed to keep it together enough then to get back to college is it or go to college to take courses yeah. to get a master's yeah. in criminology Yeah I done, um, I done a course in the College of Commerce first and then I done a bachelor's degree in UCC then I done a master's in UCC and I'm going to start my PhD in September what do you hope to do with all of that? I've no master plan, Neil. All I'm looking to do is get more education, more experience, network with people. And like I never I never started with a master plan. It was just opportunities came my way that I took and, you know, doors opened for me along the way. I don't know where it's going to take me, but all I know is that it's going to be somewhere good and somewhere positive. How did you guys team up then? Did you know each other growing up, yourself and Timmy Long or what? Are you from the same area? Timmy was an art Cullen. Yeah, I'm in Alcullen too. Timmy's only a few doors away from me. I would have grown up, I would have grown up over in his house with his younger brothers, John Paul and Thomas. Um, and I know Timmy along. I know Timmy all my life. Um, and Timmy would be, I, I would have always looked up to Timmy because he was old or, you know, mm. we kind of looked up to Timmy. And then when we were, when we came into recovery around the same time, um, we kind of, the two of us were doing community service up in the Orthopedic Hospital. And uh, I remember at the time, I was very unsure about what I was going to do and I was questioning what I was doing in recovery and he was doing the same. So we kind of comforted each other and th- thinking, yeah, we might know what we're doing now, but there's no way we can go back to where we came from. I know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then after, I suppose, where we are now is after the Tommy Turner show, I had so many people contacting me looking for help and support and guidance and information. So... That's how the podcast came about then. It's just about providing that information for people, you know. There's so many questions that I want to ask you. I won't keep you much longer, but because I see people on the streets now and you see the way we're at now in, in Ireland and indeed in Cork and you see those vacuous people who are very underweight and look very ill and almost zombie-like, um, yeah. more so than ever. How did people treat you? I mean, were you on the streets? Were you wandering around lost? And, 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 and how did people treat you? Well, you, I was like that. I was like that. It's it's not how people treat you. It's how you feel because you know what they're thinking. Like when you when as even in even as a drug user, I had a um, a stigma against street heroin use. You know, like mm-hmm. I felt, and then when I became that person, I I was hyper aware of the stigma, and I just felt dirty, worthless. I serious lack of self esteem. I couldn't look people in the eye. And, and that's the way I felt and that's the way people feel today. But you know, I, I talk with people all of the time who, who come across needles or they find people shooting up down alleyways or in, 
car parks yeah. of, you know, stairwells of car parks and things. Were you one of those? I tried not to, but there are certain occasions where you would use on the street because you know what else to use. But when you get your needles from the chemist, you also get a sin bin, as we call It's just like a bin where you can put your stuff. So I don't have... There's no excuses for needle littering, to be honest with you. No, I, I know, I, sure, I know that, but yeah. I'm, just, I'm just wondering how did people feel? Were you invisible to people? You know, did you feel as if nobody yeah. knew you were a, a person behind it? Exactly, and it's very isolating as well because I was so full of shame. I wouldn't be around any family members, you know, and I, you know, it's just you're on your own, alas. When you're on your own use, and then there's overdoses, and it becomes dangerous that way, you know. And did you lose friends and acquaintances to overdoses? I did, yeah. I did, yeah. Some folks, very close friends, actually. And what do you make of where we're at now with it? It seems to be just year in, year out, decade after decade, getting worse. In fact, the assortment of drugs and the availability of drugs is getting broader and broader. It is, and there's no psychoactive substances as well, which are very scary that I've never come across. I think like we are, we do have a drug problem and it's not going away. Like every year you could have this conversation with me for the next 10 years and still be the same. But how we respond to it should change. And I think, you know, if you pick up a, a heroin user or any drug user in Cork City and send them to prison and then release them with no supports and expect them to, to build a life, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, you have to give people the opportunity for help and support and stop kind of, criminalizing people and but how do we stop them issue. starting in the first place you know I, it, I know I spoke yesterday and I've spoken you know, many different people but Timmy was talking about you know upbringing or you know the, the skills that his mum didn't have and the problems that she yeah. had misfortune took her own life or, or is it those that we hang out with who introduce I go on everyone's doing it I mean what maybe it's all of that well you're getting into kind of like, I suppose there's family issues there where you could support a parent and, you know, I'm working for the Cork ETB and we provide youth services in Cork, so that's kind of, we're identifying early intervention. But then you're talking about wider societal inequalities and social policy and, you know, there's loads of, you know, in spite of our best efforts then, there is inequalities. And like so you're talking about poverty, lack of opportunities. Exactly. Well, there's plenty of research shows that people from all over all stress and society use drugs. But if you're from a lower socioeconomic class, you're more likely to end up addicted. You know, and it's, it's, you know, we all, like people in Douglas, Farnery, Nakhnehimi, Rochestown, all use drugs, but you're going to have problematic drug use more in the social housing areas. You know? So it definitely there's a link between social exclusion and poverty and problematic drug use. Ah, uh, man, it's just, it's an uphill battle. Um, it certainly was for you because even though you tried and failed and tried and failed, you eventually succeeded and that should be a message for people who have tried and are listening to this and have, have, have fallen yeah. again, you know, isn't it? Exactly, and I said to Tommy at the time on the television, I said, once you're alive, you always have a chance to turn it around. And it's you, people can relate with that even if they're not in addiction, you know, if they poor mental health or they're in a scenario in their life where they see there's no way out. There's always a way out, but you have to seek help and you have to put the hand out and, you know, it might seem like an impossible task, but as soon as you get some counsel or some advice, it becomes manageable, you know. And is it manageable for you now? Or is it, do you still have struggles or, or, or is everything... Are you, no, are you, 
No, I, it's very manageable for me, Neil. Like, as, as I said, I use drugs to compensate for what I was lacking as a person in terms of confidence, self-esteem, my life um, situation at the time was very poor, you know. Mm. Um, now I have a great life, you know, and I have a beautiful life, I have a good job, the education, the podcast, everything. Um, I don't need drugs today, you know. I, I'm, I, I've learned better coping skills and times to get do get tough. Like life is tough for everybody. The lockdown has been very tough on me as well. I know since I came into recovery, I've always had a structure to my day and I was always active and then to kind of sit at home for four months mm. is tough. But I was able to deal with it without using, you know, and these are you, you develop these coping skills as time goes by. Just remember the coping skills that you've been taught then. Get them to kick in. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's about talking to people as well, you know, I've, I surround myself with people in recovery and positive influences as well, you know. When is, uh, did Timmy tell me that your story is loading today, is it? Yeah, it's on uh, since yesterday. So, like Timmy, the first part of my story, which would be the addiction part, was on yesterday, and then next Monday would be the recovery part. And then from then on, we'll have guests. And was part of the recovery, you know, just finally I spoke to, to, to uh, Timmy about this yesterday, um, because he spoke about the guilt, particularly those that he hurt and, and the criminality. I didn't go into the detail and, and I won't with you, but did that involve having to say sorry or? Yeah, you know, that, definitely. That... Like I did call along to people at, you know, um, but sometimes it wouldn't be wise to do that. You might be received well and am I doing this just to make myself feel better? You, you have to always check your motivation. So, um, I suppose the way I make amends now is kind of in a general way. You know, I went to college so I could get a job helping people. I was helping prisoners and I was in, working in homeless services. And now I'm doing the podcast where I'm trying to be positive, I suppose, role model in my community and support other people, you know, wider. So I suppose that's how yeah. I'm trying to show people yeah. that I'm changed and I'm sorry and, and all that. You know? I know, I know. And would you say that the prisons are better now? You 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 started using heroin in custody. Would you say that with the new prison or is there a better system now to try and get people off and keep them clean while they're in custody? Well, there's better supports available for people today. Well, my point is, do you think the drugs are still getting in? Oh, definitely. Like, I don't, I, I've no contact with the prisons at the moment, you know, but... I know anecdotally, like when you over when you house three hundred drug users, you're going they're going to find ways to get drugs in. That's just a fact, you know. But half the people up there need shouldn't be in there anyway if they're drug users, you know. It's, it's just because you use a drug does it mean you're a criminal? E- even if their drug addiction has led to crime, no. Yeah, well, I understand. Like, let's say if you're a drug user and you commit a theft, then that you're after crossing the bridge into a crime, but you could still have other. Um, interventions other than a custody sentence, you know? Well, it, would, it doesn't seem to make sense that if you are addicted and you engage in criminality and you go into a jail where there's also drugs available, it kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? And then you and then you release them, and generally, at the moment, you know, they're homeless, and then you're expecting, right, when you go out now, don't ever use a drug again, I want you to go out and get a job, yeah. but we've no house to put you in, and we've no, we can't, you can't afford rent, and all these things, you know, so there's huge obstacles in people's way, you know. Fair play to you. Listen, it's good to catch up with you eventually, James, and to Timmy yesterday. Well done uh, on the podcast. Um, this will run and run, will it? Yeah, no, we're going to have it every Monday for the foreseeable future. We've got some good guests coming on, um, and we're also taking sponsorship if anybody in Cork wants their brand or logo associated with us. We'd be happy to have a chat. 
Um, yeah, and thanks for having us on. How would I put them in touch with you if somebody wants to take up on the sponsorship aspect? You, you can give them my phone number. Where play to you, man. Listen, it's great yeah. to catch up. Well done on the journey. Thanks for taking my call. Cheers, James. Thanks a million, Neil. God bless. James Bye. Leonard and uh, Timmy Long. Uh, the podcast is up for you to check out yourself. The Two Norries podcast. Back after the break. Text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prinderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Two great guys. True, two great guys. Guys, uh, James, this morning. Timmy Long yesterday. Uh, we got text following my conversation with him. Just wanted to say that I'm so proud of Timmy. I knew his mom very well. And it's nice to hear his voice. I'm delighted he's doing so well, says Rosari. Uh, morning, Neil. Timmy uh, has summed it all up so well in yesterday's program. He said it all in one sentence. There is a way out. He's here to tell the story. Many young people will relate to that. He is inspirational. Margaret called after my conversation with Timmy yesterday to say he should write a book. She says he is inspiring and outstanding. Mrs. Healy called to say Timmy's amazing. He's the best she has ever heard. And Irene said... Uh, to, called to say this is one of the best interviews she's ever heard. Well done, Timmy, from yesterday. Uh, Antonio O'Brien says, please wish Timmy all the best and say that I'm proud of what he has achieved, says Tony O'Brien. And then Ray and Diane, listening on Valencia, said, well done, Timmy, you're a great example to us all. We're proud to know you. So great words of encouragement and thank you for all of those. And undoubtedly we'll get the same uh, kind of calls and uh, you know texts from people saying the very same about the one and only James Leonard. Check out the two Norries Podcast. We'll come back to all of the business between now and midday, but let's just stay with this, shall we? Padre, good morning. Morning, Ed. Okay, so I hope you had an opportunity to hear James. Maybe you even had an opportunity to hear Timmy yesterday. I, I know, I know Timmy and James from from the area. I actually spoke to Timmy a few weeks ago. We were we were swimming together, Jordan, the fine weather in June there, out in the Lee Fields, you know, <laughs> out by the, the old world, and. Uh, I know about lads from growing up, like I'm heavily involved in uh, my local J club, myself above, like, and like, like, as Timmy said yesterday, like, like, like having somebody, uh, we say, as a pair to show him what direction to take early in life, like, was one of the main obstacles of how Timmy went down the Coping road, skills, down, you know? yeah, life skills, things yeah. that, you, you know, that you learn as a child under normal circumstances that they were denied, I suppose, you know, or the, com- yeah, exactly. or the company and you the, keep, it can be, it's loaded. Yeah, well, well, the, the, the company you, you, you keep, like, you know, but, but, like, when it comes to, we say, our area above, like, in <clears throat> the local sporting clubs, be it boxing, GA, or soccer, like, you know, I, I know that, like, like everybody that's working as a volunteer uh, in those clubs, like, are constantly reminding uh, the children... Uh, from a young age about the dangers and the pitfalls that are involved in drug taking. You know? Yeah, but you see, you could start on drink, you know, and then move on and then take a tablet and before you know it, you're on a slippy slope to to heroin. Oh, I do. Oh, well, I've seen this happen, Neil. I've seen it happen. And you, could come, from ha- you right. could come from happy homes as well. You could come from a very happy home. You could, but like, like the, the, the constant need to remind them of the dangers of it. Like I, I believe is is a great source of prevention, you know. Uh, like like they don't really need this to be educated on it no anyway because it's on their doorstep at the moment, you know. Especially last week, what happened above in Nahini. and like 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 a girl told me one time like what happened? To- well, the drugs the, the, the drugs that were found up there last week. Oh the girl, sure, like, stop. Yeah, What's you know, that? yeah, yeah, two kilos, yeah, three kilos, three kilos. Yeah. 
Yeah, and like like it's a law. In fact, like that's like for every hundred thousand euro worth of heroin, heroin that's found on the street, like it, it, it has enough to ruin. It, it, it does enough in it to ruin ten lives. No, that's ten families. You know. And is there talk of? Did I read something yesterday? There's talk of an injection centre. Yeah, but that's been handed about there by the the Cork local drugs task force there for the last few years. They're waiting on the on the confirmation of one there that was granted there for Merchants Key in Dublin, you know. It was granted there recently. Uh, but they hadn't so made up their mind, should they hadn't, as to where they were going to put it. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And that's why I, I said I'd contact you now this morning because you spoke this morning and all the local businesses are delighted, you know, like that there's a recent proposing out to upgrade McCartan Street and, right. you know, yeah. Prod, the mad cans in there. I yeah. can assure you one thing, Neil, right? If the Cox City Council had a meeting next week with McCartan Street businesses and told them, look, as part of this upgrade, we're going to put the injection centre in there, they'd scatter for the hills, right? But it's okay then, and it's seemingly okay to put it into an area then where the people might want it, you know? And that's exactly what's going to happen here. I have no problem with an injection centre going in anywhere once it has the right facilities and the right conditions, right? But you can't stick it into an area where, where there's a high usage of, of heroin anywhere. You know? Like, I, I just don't think it makes been, any, any sense. There's been no real talk about this topic for a couple of years now, but has Nocknahini been identified as a location? Well, we've sort of shown says, and we've got them from Cullen Buck with the recent uh, upgrade of uh, the orthopedic hospital. You know, it became uh, it's the biggest primary care centre now in Ireland, actually, and it, there's a lot of units gone in there that would be outside the remit of a primary care centre, like a dental training unit. Yes. There's a GP training unit, like, you know, like we, we saw assurances says, uh, the locals from the HSC, that's like, like if... There was confirmation from the council of an injecting centre that it wouldn't be put in there, and we we we've got that from Cullen Box, you know. Uh, so, like, like to say where it would go wouldn't be the issue. I would have like, thought like, it. W- I would have thought it would go where most people use are um, are found to be homeless. You know, like there was a report in the Examiner recently. Uh, I think it was last year. Said three main clusters of fatal overdoses and injecting sites were identified. Merchant's Key, Anderson's Key, the Grand Parade, the North Main Street, Curls Key across from Grenville Place and Henry Street. Other identified yeah. clusters were Wellington Road, Summerhill North, Lower Glanmar right. Road, Pope's Key and Richmond Hill. That, that's where yeah. they were kind of suggest- there's, a, there's a big choice there, incidentally, but they were the areas yeah, that were yeah, and that's where the, I, I, I would presume then the likes of McCartan Street, like if they're upgrading the street at the moment, maybe it might be an idea to put it in there. Uh, that seems relatively central to all those areas. You yeah, an area there. that would be central to use. Exactly, yeah. But that's what I'm saying, Janelle, is that none of the businesses in McCartan Street would stand for that being put on their doorstep. Not yeah, one of them. Yeah. That's what's happened in the past. Well, I remember years back when they were putting in a wet centre, you know, where homeless people, right. people who had drink addictions could go in and drink. There was murder up around uh, McCartan Street. Murder about it. Yeah, it and being, I know being... I, won't, I won't go into the city now because the city council, right, they've actually, they've prevented a lot of chemists now uh, from getting a licence to dispense methadone in the city because they want to move it out of the city. But you has know, anybody actually said that Nocknahini is being considered as a location? No, but I, I, 
I, I wrote to uh, David Lane, it was about two and a half years ago. He's the, the chairman of the Cockery Drugs Task Force with the HSE. Yeah. On the FOI to get information on all discussions that took place in relation to uh, site. the locations. Yeah, yeah. And I got absolutely nothing back. I was told there wasn't one bit of information available. It cost me 30 euros to appeal it into a, a, a person within the HSE, and they told me the exact same. Yeah, yeah. It's gone, to my knowledge, then, it's just gone quiet for now, hasn't it? Yeah, but the merchant's key one was granted. Uh, like, and I suppose with that going ahead now, they're, they're looking to have one in Galway, Cork and Limerick as yeah, well. You know? Yeah, but the location in Cork is still unidentified. But I would have thought it would make more sense somewhere in the... somewhere Like, if you're at a greenfield site, three or four miles out of the city, sure, like, how would somebody who was a user get there, you know? Well, see, there's pros and cons of, of where you locate it. Like, I, I would presume that, like, like we just say where we're living and our locality is on the number two bus route, right? So the number two bus route is one of the most central bus routes in the city because it had a big kind of scope. Uh, That's right, going it goes north, Man. south, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Like, and I don't know, like, Neil, Neil it's known in fact like that people that are using heroin, you know, I mean, no, no they do have... Uh, Difficult, difficult life as such, like you know, but like it creates an environment for them as well where they need to get their heroin. So they're constantly running on a kind of a high agenda. Then, like you know, like if you were to fill your buses, then with people that are going to a heroin injecting centre. I, I understand and, how you would you feel know. as a resident of Knocknaheeny about that. If the using is primarily happening in the city, there's where the location should be. Yeah. yeah, but I'd, I'd, have, I'd have grave concerns then for people like my mother, who's seventy-five, who uses the bus all the time. Do you know. You know, you have people on the bus that will be going to these centres. But the point being, if it was a walk-in centre, it should be where it's walkable, city centre. Yeah, but I'd be on, I I could be back on to you in two years' time now, and as God is my judge, Neil, I can assure you one thing, Cox City Council won't allow that to be located in the city. In the city, okay. Listen, I'll see if I can get an update on it, but thanks for now, Padraig. Yeah, here we go, here we go. Appreciate it. Darren, good morning. Come on, Neil You've been holding a long time, pal. Appreciate it. I, think uh, I, got, I, got, I, got, some, I got some paperwork on you here. How's it going? Not too bad, no, Neil. Not too bad. Um, just, just tired, really, Neil, from you know, being on the streets and all, really, to be honest. Um, I don't know if you know about what way the Simon runs, but um, at night time, at 11 o'clock, we are the ones show up as. Um, the back of the same eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, go on. That's right. And um, right, basically, just to see if we can get in to put put our heads down for the night. And um, well, if you get a bed, then you're out there. You're put out then at seven, half seven in the morning. Yeah. And um, there's a thing called the the day centre needle in in the same, and you go in there then from nine o'clock to one o'clock, but. Open social distancing and uh, everything, you know, they don't, they don't allow, allow a certain amount of people in at a time, like, you know, like six or seven people in at a time. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you can't get in there, you're on your own all day on the streets. That's it, basically. Like, you know, you have your hour inside the same and whatever in the morning at the, the day centre is called, like. Yeah. Um, so, if, for example, like, if you want to have your shower, change your clothes, get your breakfast, all that kind of stuff, right? You know, um, so yeah, they give you an hour and stuff like, and then the next six or seven people then 
get there or so on and so forth, like, you know. I know. But, and um, if you don't get a bed so, at 11 o'clock at night, Darren, what happens yeah. then? Well, basically, you're just left out in the streets and you're given a sleeping bag and you're, you just have to go and find some, somewhere, some shelter, like. So we're, we're lucky in a way that there's um, volunteers there that come around, drive around the city mm. uh, to help the homeless, like, you know. Mm. There's this woman called Valerie. She's a French woman. She's very good. She comes around to all the homeless. Um, I know her. I, I know her. I spent uh, some time with her last uh, last yeah. winter on the streets. Uh, fabulous work. She's a lovely know. woman. She's a lovely well, what woman. Would what, would the re- what would the reason be that you wouldn't be able to get in at 11 o'clock? Well, if you are under the influence or anything, like, um, like if you were drunk or if you were, you know, if you were unresponsive to the staff, like, in, if you couldn't speak to them, you know, in a, in a manner where they tossed us, you know, that you weren't suitable to come in, mm. you know, like, to things like that, like, or if you are abusive to the staff or mm. Mm. things like that. Or if they're so, full, or if they're full, maybe. But yeah, they you know, like you know, due to uh, the um, due to the social distancing, you know, they can't um, you know double people up in the double rooms anymore. So it's uh, it's gone from seventy beds down to forty something beds. I think seventy beds to forty or thirty beds. So that's a huge drop, like you know. So um, and, yeah, that's more homeless people on the streets, like you know. So, that's right, and I've seen like, I've seen so, more and more recently inside in town, particularly you know around the Grand Parade, or I've seen groups sitting uh, in, in bus shelters and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, like people like you know, like cause if they're on the streets, they have they have to find a way to survive. So they're gonna but, sit down and beg for money. Um, well, whether if they're drug users or alcoholics or whatever. Are you? Um, are you? Um, are you drinking? Are you a drug user? I'm not late. Yeah, I'm actually a heroin addict, but I actually I, I use I'm on a, I'm on a methadone program, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm tackling that full uh, head on now. You know? I'm um, my key worker there, Marie, in the same there. Her name is Maria Sullivan. Um, she um she's brilliant. She she helps me out in any way possible that she can. Let you know. So she got me um an assessment up in Francis Farm in County Carlow. Um, I'm already after getting. I'm already after doing that. So like it's a long process, me. Let you know. But you're only so, you're like, only twenty six. Twenty six is all. Yeah, yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah. But um. And how how did all how did your life unravel? What happened? Well, to be honest, like I started getting into trouble with the law when I turned when I was around twenty-one, and um, to be honest, my life started just going downhill from there. Um, I just started doing drugs heavily. I started from started from smoking marijuana, um, from drinking cocaine, um, and then slowly but surely, then onto the benzoids. Um, and then eventually, then the heroin and crack cocaine and it's really new, you know. So, you know, it's been tough for me, like, you know, I'm not going to lie, I, knocked, I just recently buried my brother as well. Um, in March, he died of an overdose, um, over, over heroin tablets and too much 
met Ron. So um, was he also yeah. was he also like you homeless? No, he wasn't. He 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 always had. He was always on his always on his two feet. He was he was engaged. He was trying for a child. He had his own home. You know, he was he was. So he had his life was like he had, he had everything going from Neil. You know, was that not a wake up? Was one, that not a wake up call to you though? It was Neil, but to be honest, which I went very heavy on the drugs. I couldn't cope with it when I lost him because he was my rock, you know, like, oh, he, like, I, I can't explain, I can't, the words can't yeah, sure, describe yeah, yeah. how close we are, you know, and, um, to be honest, the only way that, um, you know, I could cope with it was taking drugs and I eventually did, um, taking, taking over us and I ended up in the hospital with a, and I was fighting for my life. Um, I did was you, in an induced did, coma. Did you know you were taking? Did you know you were taking an overdose? No, I didn't. No, I was in the hospital. I didn't know where I was. I kind of panicked. I freaked out. Um, I kind of tried to escape from the hospital. I was just, I just didn't know. Like I suffered from epilepsy, so I was probably, probably going in and out of the seizure. Maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, I panicked and I just re- and then the doctor said, "Look, I had a right pneumonia in my right lung." Um, they said, "You're very ill. You have to stay in hospital." So, like when I realised how seriously ill, how seriously ill I was, I stayed in the hospital and I tried my best to recover. And my mother then um, took me home and brought her. As usual, like, you know, I, I just, I, I, I can't blame no one but myself, you know. Mm. Um, and with them, with I, them. I, I, I always turn to drugs, like, you know what I mean? And whether, like, my mother took me home to try to get me off the drugs. Like, like after, you know, if, after having my overdose or whatever, like, I got a wake-up call from that. Yeah. But then after a few weeks, and a few weeks went by and stuff like that, I... I don't know, I just I just couldn't handle it anymore. Like, but your poor mother to lose to lose one son and then to have the I other know. one struggling like you were. I mean, I know. Listen, I know. Um, I know. Are, are you okay to hold on for just a, a couple of minutes if you don't mind? I pick up the conversation with you after eleven o'clock. Is that all right? Can you ring me back, Neil? Chalk it um, down. We'll call, we'll call you back. Don't you worry about that, Darren. Hold on. We'll come back after 11. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, I know that the Netford are meeting today and they have some decisions to make, but it's Tuesday. Like, it's the Tuesday before Monday when we're supposed to be moving through another phase and there's still no... Uh, news as to where we're at with regards to overseas travel and a list of green countries and more importantly for many pubs that are supposedly opening on Monday they still have no clarification you know and some might say Asha they've been getting ready but they don't know whether it's a meter they don't know whether it's two meters they don't know whether they will be opening they don't know whether there'll be music they don't know what the story is with bringing all their staff back maybe that's one of the reasons that Debarra's the folk club down in Clonakilty has said with no official guidelines in place for reopening pubs in less than a week or indeed indoor live music events, we at Debarra's feel we will not be able to responsibly open on the 20th. Uh, we will continue to monitor, fret and plan with blindfolds on, but our hands are tied behind our back. When we do reopen, we'll do so safely and confidently with excellence and attention to detail, as they always do. 
so there's a typical example now of pubs where the clock is just ticking and it's getting too close and they still don't know. I mean, will there be an announcement tonight? Will it be tomorrow? Will they wait till the weekend? I honestly do not know. Lines are open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. What I do know is that there are 14 people in Irish hospitals now with COVID-19. 14. 10 of them are in ICU, but 14 in Irish hospitals. Now, uh, Darren isn't in a position to come back on. Not right now. Maybe at a la- maybe later in the program version of the time, but uh, he's not in a position to come back on right now. There were other aspects of his life that I wanted to talk to him about. Um, he was saying to, to Brenda that he uses social welfare to purchase his drugs. And then when he doesn't have money, he, he begs until he gets enough to buy his heroin. I, I, I don't know whether he's taking heroin while he's on a methadone program. Possibly is. Um, he came into uh, some money when he turned 18 and uh, he was off and running then with his drug addiction because of the money um, and of course when there isn't an obstacle with regards to your finances it's much easier to, to source drugs isn't it and then when you can source it you beg, borrow or steal uh, but good luck to anyway Darren I hope that you're in a position to come back at, at some stage in the future but thank you and I wish you well I really do in spite of the tragedies and uh, the addictions in your life so to the phone lines we go Jason good morning good morning Neil I'm good um, I, know, I know you're nervous but appreciate you picking up the phone and other people just like you have been calling and you should take some confidence from that but, but you're oh, clean well. you're clean in fairness I am nearly six years now. And do you know James? Do you know Timmy? I do. I was Michael and as well. I was neighbour two doors next to him, basically, like, yeah. So three fellas, all the same generation, from the same area, yeah. all fell yeah. foul of drugs. Yeah. But say, I was 13 when I moved out of uh, our and then. But I still managed to go the same way, like, you know. Yeah, but it's look at you. all over the place in Cork, like. And, and only getting worse, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, yeah. When I was young, uh, I didn't. I start like my parents were strict. Like you know, they'd they'd be smelling for drinking fags and stuff. But with the minute we moved out of our couldn't the thirteen, I kind of started staying on my hands, and I got away with it. Then, like you know, you had more time to yourself. Yeah, yeah. And how old were you then? Did you, did you did like what happened at thirteen? Was it was it drink? No, it was uh, when I started. Uh, it was smoking hash with my friends. No, I just, because I, I knew they'd smell the drink and stuff, like, so I got away with it, like. Because then it just went, got worse and worse, like. But my parents were very strict with me anyway, like, but they didn't know then because they was up my nan, like, you know. And did you move oh, on man. then from cannabis? Yeah, I did. I just started then after that. Uh, I drank once or twice then, uh, like, drink was not a big thing I was into, but I did start drinking. And, like, the same as James and Timmy, like, I started on to... Airlines and stuff like so the sprays and the glue, the petrol, shoe polish, anything at all. Yeah, yeah, anything at all. Yeah. yeah. Somebody sent me a photograph there over the weekend of the yellow caps from the small little gas canisters. You know. Yeah, you see them everywhere. I know so. Yeah. They sent me a photograph of a front garden that's just littered with them. The misfortune must have a terrible addiction to them. Yeah, it's very bad. It's everywhere. Like. And um, when I was younger, I couldn't even get them. Like so, when we were younger, we'd be out cutting grass. So when we were younger, like going to the house, like cutting the grass for the summer, like, and then we'd have a lawnmower so we can get petrol in. So we would not bother getting all that. Sniffing petrol. Oh my god! What about yeah. school? What about school? Were you not going to school? I was good in school. Well, I didn't like it a bit. The same as James, I hated school. Like I used to be in there. Like. Um, 
I just didn't like it. You know, I wouldn't do... I was kept back one year. I didn't do the homework for a year, like, so they kept me back. And then I had to go to all new people in the class, like, but... Like, I, I was in K... In James's in there, yeah. I wasn't in James's class, but more the, more the lads, most of the lads over there. And uh, I was kept back from them. And then they were... I used to have to go with people my age or in the class I was a little bit younger so then I stopped going with James and the lads they were over me but so then when my parents moved out of the I north side yeah. then I caught in and then I started going back on with the lads again and then I got worse then we started going like same as James and lads onto the E's onto the cork and I, like I taken the heroin on the south side because I took a lot of uh, acid one time uh, mushrooms and I couldn't come down off them and I was in a house and like I never What does I that mean you, you couldn't come down? I, explain that. I I was I took them and normally you take the ease and stuff or the acid and stuff you take them and after a day you'd kind of come down off them you'd be sick but there was things coming out the wall at me and everything and I just couldn't come down off them and uh, the lads were taking heroin but I never knew what heroin was but I was always told don't take heroin so I never did, like, lads used to be taking it in the south side. And then this time when I couldn't come down off the, the mushrooms, things were coming out. My parents were looking for me this after about three or four days. And uh, they were ringing my friends, where's Jason and stuff. And then one of the lads, they were taking her and if you take that, you'd be grand. And I did, I took it and I came off the mushrooms and stuff, but I didn't get a stone on that. No, I just went to sleep. And I was like, geez, what's that stuff? And... So on started then. That was started it. Taking it then every couple of weeks or so. I wasn't hooked on it like I was. How old were you at that stage? I think I was about eighteen. I was about eighteen. Yeah, I'm thirty four now. Like, but at the start, like I wasn't taking it every week or so. That was like it could be every couple of weeks, it could be a couple of months. But it was all the ease and the coke at the time, and then got worse and worse in the heroin, and then it was on every day until then. I, gone out of home make a fool out of all my family and friends like James said we were best friends got a bag between three of us but sure before long then we were running away at me till they on their own and where were you so living? I was, I was in my nan's for a long time but so then I started going everything started to come back to my family like when I was about 16 and stuff then so then I wasn't staying at my nan's as much anymore I was going back down to my mum's, and then I met friends down the south side I started going around them and like it just got a lot worse, you know. I started taking all the other drugs and then I like I made a fool out of my parents. All my brothers and sisters, they made a fool out of all them. I had a girlfriend, they made a fool out of her. And I'm the same as Timmy, like my girlfriend stuck with me the whole time. She she break up with me but she always took me back. And so you know, I just I got everything back, like going to NA, like James, I was up in France to film. Where James was. You go to France I, for a year, is it? No, no, the farm, fans, the farm. Oh, I keep saying it wrong. No, I'm Carlo. I'm fair. Oh, yeah. Tim, yeah, Timmy was in France. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can remember Timmy when he was away. I can remember he came back. Because I grew up with Timmy and John Paul as well, like. So, I said, we all went down the same way, like. I know, like, when I started, I didn't start taking them with, with James and them, like. And how, like, how old were you when you stopped, if you were... So young when you started. Like I stopped. I'm. I, I was trying for a long time. You know, I was in. I was in the nuns' place up in Blarney. I was in the treatment centre. Like, and I could never actually do it. Like, you know, I'd always. And my mum would always take me home. 
I'd always get in home and I'd go through the sick for a few days and then all of a sudden I think I'm cured and then I'd say I'm going to get a bag down now and celebrate <laughs> because I'm after controlling it like so I take yeah. the one now and I stick yeah. to once a month but once yeah. you touch it once you're gone like. once a month yeah, yeah yeah I can handle it now yeah that's denial really isn't it yeah yeah definitely like and then when I was in the farm when I was leaving I always said this I can remember saying it to my dad when I'm leaving the farm have a slab of bud Slab of Budweiser waiting for me when they collect me to finish it as he will. And when I was in the farm, I was saying to the staff, I said, it was just, my time was nearly over. And I was saying, when my dad texts me, I'm going to have a slab of Bud waiting, I'm going to drink all the way home. And they called me to the office, goes, what are you doing this for? And one of the staff said it to me, he goes, Jason, I know you're going to go back use. And I said, I won't, I'm just going to stick to the drink. And he goes, look, I tell you what to do. Stay off the drink as well for one year and then see you can drink. And I did, but when I came out of the farm, I was in a meeting, and I heard of a fella, he'd done the same, he stayed clean for a year, and after that he drank, and he went straight back on everything else. So, I stuck at it, and I didn't drink. I don't, I don't, I used to drink, but I never really liked it. And you got to a year, and then you carried on? I carried on, yeah, I stick to the meetings, and all the only people I'd be with now are in there, like, Narcoxon Anonymous. So life... Life is good now? Oh, brilliant. So I'm up here on a one walk. Uh, I just jumped into the van. I know I was on the radio on the phone till I... So, all is good. Very good. And do you think that Timmy and James had a part to play in your recovery? Big time. Big time. At the time, no, you used to see Timmy as much. No, Timmy kind of used to be on, but I used to obviously see James, because James used to get the meetings as well. So Timmy used to go to A as well. And... Not just James, no one, and not Timmy either. There was loads of other people that go to the meetings, and when I see them, I wanted to be with Dave, like, because yeah. I remember going to a meeting, and we held at a tag for 30 days, and I'd be saying, Jeannie, will I ever get that tag? And I see him get the next one, and like, will I ever get that one? But you know, I have all the tags that I get, like, no, and I never thought I'd have it, ever. But I do have it, like, and then a lot of people there, I never thought they'd last. And then other people never thought they would last. But you never know, like. Yeah, well, you do it for you, like. You do it for you first. Do it for yourself, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. Yeah, what would you say to people who um, would contact uh, me on a regular basis and say uh, that they have no pity at all for people going through scenarios like yours or James or Timmy, that it's your own fault for starting in the first place? Them people don't know anything about addiction. Like, addiction is a killer. Like, like I was, I won't deny that I was a scumbag. I was the biggest liar, robber, or own cock, I'd say. I hated myself. But it wasn't actually me. It was the disease. Do you know? Like, I'm a different person. I'm a different person. I would not do none of that stuff now. Like, do you know what I mean? If it wasn't it for the addiction, yeah. If no, it wasn't for no, the drugs, I was yeah. a genuinely nice person. Which is now what drugs do. They, you, you're out of your mind. That's the thing. Yeah. And like even, I can remember I was dying sick and there was something I was going to do and I knew I was going to get caught. And no, I often cried thinking, I'm going to have to do this and I was still going to do it. Like. Yeah. Do you ever have to do time? I was up in Cork prison, yeah, for not for long, like, once, yeah. a couple of months, like, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Once yeah. is enough. Once is enough, yeah. And that's, that's it, like, and then when I came out there, then it was just a couple of weeks later I got to the farm and... Ever since that, it's all good. And what would you say to somebody struggling now? 
go to a meeting and tell them on the main things like go to a meeting that's what I would say even, if, even if you're not clean obviously still go to a meeting if you're not clean I used to go to the meetings before I was clean still go still the same be go in there you might it might take another year or two before you get clean just go in and listen that's all it is just go, go in and, and listen go and there's listen. loads of people in there then and like even when I go to a meeting no I might even listen to everything I never do but you will hear something that you need to hear well that's for me anyway and like whenever I'm like I don't go to meetings as much no I go whenever I get a chance because I'm working and stuff and I do with the kids and all this yeah, and yeah. I go fishing whatever but this time no if there's something wrong, I go to a meeting. And when I hear that, if the thing, whatever's in your head, you will hear it in there. We're all the same in there, like, and we all had the same problem. Something will click. Whatever you yeah. need, will yeah. click you, like, and it will help you. I'll let you get back to work, Jason. Listen, it's great to talk to you. Congratulations. Thanks very much, Neil. Thank you. Look after yourself. Take care. And tell Darren, keep it up. I know Darren, and I know his brother very well as well. Absolutely. I hope to get him back on again at some stage, but uh, appreciate right. it and I'll pass on your sentiments. Thanks, Jason. Thank back you. after the Bye. break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red L. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, go back to the phone lines in just one second, but we have uh, more vouchers to give away just before midday today. Oak Fire Pizza have given us vouchers for large pizzas to give away uh, this week and indeed next week. The hottest wood fire pizza place in Cork, and they're now al fresco because they're part of the Eat on the Street initiative on Princess Street and Oak Fire Pizza are there every single day, at 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily for takeaway delivery and also the sit down on Princess Street and they're also located Bridge Street in Bandon Ross Street in Clonakilty and on top of that we have family passes if you want to head away for the day or head away for an afternoon to many of the different tourist attractions in our fair county Spike Island Photo Wildlife Park Cork City Jail Blarney Castle St Mary's Collegiate in Yall the Clock Gate Tower the Clock Gate Tower in, uh, in Yall as well Michael Collins House down west the Cove Heritage Centre uh, Skibbereen Heritage Centre those passes came in this morning which is great there's whale watching down in Baltimore and an opportunity to ring the Shandon Bells and we've lots more besides so we'll close the phone lines with those uh, just before midday today you can text 0868104106 for a shout out or a family pass or indeed you can get in touch with me on my own Instagram page where I'll also be giving away some passes uh, and some tourist attractions in the coming week or 10 days. So there you go. More on that just before midday today. A lot of texts on different topics, actually, which I will come back to. But just stay with the phone lines for now, if you don't mind. Tig is standing by. I'll get you in a second, Tig. But first up, Kieran. good morning. Good morning. Okay, so you've been hearing some of the inspirational conversations yesterday and today, Timmy and James and, and Darren and people like that. Is that right? I do. Uh, and I know them lads as well, you know. It's amazing how you all know each other, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot there, 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 there's, a, there's a good crew was there um, from not making Holly Hill area that, that they were all in recovery you know we all kind of stick together when we piled you know did you, did, you, did you get to know each other in recovery or was it when you were using um, I would more so know when I was using to be honest you know um, and I suppose I suppose I kind of really don't know Timmy but I know James you know I've done a bit of using with James and uh, and things like that, you know. Um, but I became very good friends with Timmy's younger brother, Thomas, you know. How's life with you now? Life is good. We can't complain, you know, in four years. In four years clean at the present moment, you know. Um, You're one of the lucky ones because it's only getting worse. 
and I'm blessed, you know, I'm blessed. Um, I have a brother that's active today, you know, and, and it's hard to see and it's hard to look at, you know. You know, that I kind of, in one aspect, I kind of have to pull back in, in oh, ways, you know. No, well, I wish him well. Do you think that we're sympathetic? Do you think that people are, that society is sympathetic enough to users or to addicts? You know, when you see when you see people on the streets or begging or almost zombie-like amongst us? I'd go a little bit in depth and I'd go a little bit in and i kind of really talk around the darn situation because, you know, I was in that position, you know. I was in the very same position as him. And the power of addiction left me at the side of the road with a cup in my hands, you know. Um, and at that time, I didn't see no way out, you know. <coughs> and would people give you money then? Would people give you money then that you would then subsequently buy heroin with? I would, yeah. And do you know what? I, I, I never realised I never realised the kindness of the people in Cork, you know. I was really, really at my my lowest, you know. Um, I got absolutely everything on the streets. I got drink, drugs, I got food, I've got clothes, money, you know. Um, And I never really really thought the people at Cork were so kind, you know. Um, I I was just going around hatred. I was just full of hate. Hate of my life, really, to be honest, you know. So you're not, well, no wonder you're nothing to live for. Like, look at what no. you were, look at what I you were doing. See, I didn't see a way out. Oh, I really didn't see a way out. And, um, were you using Simon? Were you sleeping there? Were you on the streets? Or? I, was in, I was in the Vincent's for a period and I was kind of discharged out of Vincent's. And um, yeah, from there, it kind of was doorways, really, you know. And um, How long could you stay in, in, in a room in Vincent's? You can stay there as long as you're paying your rent. And were you getting told then? Could you use that as an address? I was getting a social welfare payment at the time, yeah. Um, and that was my address, yeah. So you were trying to work out how much you could spend on rent and how much you could spend on drugs? Uh, and when you pay your rent inside Vincent's, you're not left with very much, although your food is paid for and all that. But look, when you're using, you wouldn't want food, do you know? That's right, um, yeah, yeah. But it was a habit that I was able, I wasn't able to keep up with, and I didn't know how to fund it. And at the end, at the end, at the end of my use, and I was left on my own, even through the course of my use. And really, you know, I was kind of left on my own, you know. And I didn't have ways of making money. I kind of didn't want to go to prison in one aspect, but even though I was there many times, you know. But at this point, I didn't want to go there, and I thought, look, if you if you you're not going to get arrested for begging, then you know. And you, and you weren't, but you were. Were you were you were you robbing from shops or what? Was that the problem? Um, I just kind of never went for robbing, really. No, I did rob. I would have robbed more so property out of not not out of shops inside city centre or any of that stuff. I would have robbed property elsewhere, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. And that led to stints in jail, then. Stints in jail was sure look. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that was just all the all the case. You know, I've gone to jail a lot longer than that, you know. You know, so, um, for crime. For, yeah, I went to jail for a number of different reasons, you know. All right, okay. And can I ask yeah, you a question? Is there, was there much money to be made begging on the streets? I'd give you the God's honest truth. You would make... You can make a couple hundred euro there. I'll be honest now, come on. Come on, come I'm on. I'm being honest with you. A couple of hundred a day. You'd Every day you'd go out, you'd make a couple of hundred euro. All depends on the days... Especially at the weekends, you'd make a couple of hundred euro. You can make 200 euro there, no problem, in a few hours. And do you think that's the same now? 
I mean, we were talking four or five years ago, aren't we? We're talking, we're talking four years ago, yeah, just over four years ago. I was making, I was making 200 quid and no, no joke, four hours. Where? Outside Debenhams, side of Debenhams. Alvaclunca um, seems to be a good street as well, across from the centre direction. Um, and would would you say that people knew why that knew how you were going to use the money? Uh, more certainly, I'd say, yeah, more certainly. You know, so that that funded your habit. Then people would just give you food rather rather than giving you money. You know, no, but the, the, I suppose the point that I'm getting to is that they were giving you two hundred euro a day or any day that you went out, knowing yeah. that you were going to buy heroin with it, and literally the people of Cork were funding your habit. Yeah. Pretty much. Do they yeah. do they need to stop doing that? You know what? Look, I, I I'm not even going to go and answer that because you know what? I was in that position, and if I was seeing someone on the side of the road today, I'd still give some money. Okay, well and that does exactly, answer it. Yeah. I know exactly where it's going. You know. And you how know? did you how did you get your life back? In 2014, there was a blessing came in. Life and it was a little, a little girl, um, a little daughter, and the uh, in full swing of rampant addiction. To be honest, you know, and um, I remember, I remember holding my daughter for the first time out in the seawater, and um, I thought to myself there and then, I need to do something. You know, this is not a life I'm going to be bringing the child into. You know, and her mother, her mother then was brilliant. You know, her mother has no drink issues, no drug issues, nothing like that. You know. And she just kind of <clears throat> ended up with me, you know. And um, yeah, it was horrible. You know what I mean? But that was that was the game changer. I was looking down on a child. That that was that was my game changer. You know, I knew I knew from past stuff, not having something there in my life, out of figure. I knew I couldn't do that to this child. You know, and even even four years ago, oh, that child is still still a rock in my recovery. You know, amazing, isn't it? You know. I, Ah, yeah, I mean, it's your child, it's your child, but it's 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 you for sticking with it as well. Like, I'd do anything for that child, you know. And, and if that means battling with hit stuff and battling with addiction to maintain sobriety and and to maintain being clean and being there as a role model for that child, by this why it's what I have to do. Inspirational. You know? That's brilliant. That's fantastic. You know, that's what you, I have to do, you know. And how do you and, feel uh, about yourself now? Yeah, myself, I'm good, you know. You know, as I say, and I, I look down on the child and I talk to myself, right, I have to change and, you know, I didn't get clean there and then obviously, like, I got clean, I got clean when she was, what, 18 months, a little bit less than 18 months and I was outside the Holy Trinity Church one morning begging and, and it was either get clean or it was the river, they were my only two options, you know, and, um, I got a little bit of help for it with out of a chap up in Arbor House and I went to I went to Blarney. I went to the nuns in Blarney, you know, and um So you did contemplate ending it all, yeah, that's where you were at. And I tried it many a time. Some some sometimes to be honest with self pity stuff and other times were were genuinely serious, you know. Um but Would yeah, there be relief then when you'd come round and realise that you were still alive? Blessed. Blessed, you know, because there was there, 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 there was a couple of serious suicidal attempts in my life that I had, I had that was it. I was gone, you know, um, I was gone, and and one of them was um, 
in Blackrock when I was, I was I was in the place in Blackrock and and the guards the guards called to the house. Um, they obviously got they obviously got a warning off off my ex partner and and my mother. You know that um, I wasn't right and I wasn't in the right frame of mind. My mental health was on the ground and uh, yeah, they came in and Switch. they took me down off the shower. They took you down. You know, they took me down from the shower. Yeah. That's the job you the know. guards do, boy. That's the job they do. We forget that sure a lot do. of the time. Sure do. And you no, know, look, I got, I, I got, I got clean. I got clean within that year. I got clean, and I was twelve months into that year, or was it eight months or something into that year? I got clean, and you know, um, yeah, very... it was the nuns and Blarney. It was the nuns and Blarney saved me, to be honest. You know. Ah, yeah, but you were a huge, you were, you were a huge contributor to that as well. Yeah, so you can do it. So you can do it, like no, for sure, but for sure, one thing that an addict was lacking, and this was for me personally, the one thing I was lacking going into um, going into going into Blarney was discipline. I had no discipline whatsoever, and boy, I was shaped into place when I went there, you know. And and it was the start. It was just a recovery start happened there and then, you know. Is that a bit? Of, is that a bit of tough love in there? Then it's kind of it's physical, isn't it? I wouldn't say that, to be honest. I wouldn't say that. I, maybe it was just the way the house was, you know. Um, look, you can't come in. You can't have someone coming in off the streets with off-the-wall behaviours. Do you know what I mean? Well, no, it's not, it's not a hotel. It's not Airbnb or anything. You're there to get You're there to get fixed. Yeah, for sure. And and they did, you know. And, and, and I'm in recovery. I kept them into recovery four years. Now I'm down the road and, uh, you know. My my support networks are all boys. Like I could ring Jason, they'll just stand before me. You know, I could ring Thomas. You know, I could ring boys like that. You know, and, and whatever is going on for me, they'll, they'll give you a bit of a dig out. You know, they'll, they'll talk about they'll guide you in the best they could. You know. So you're very optimistic about the future, but there are families or parents listening to me now who have somebody suffering, and they're not optimistic. What kind of hope could you give them? Look, where, where where any of the lads that have to be on the show came from, it, it's in, it's inspiring, you know. There's lots of inspiration after being shared over the last day or two, you know. And but you have to be ready, don't you? Yeah, you have to. Get you have to do it for you. If, if you're if you're broke, recovery is their way in, you know. And even if you're not broke, the seed will be planted, and the seed will turn to the flower sooner or later. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was in treatment in 08. Didn't want it. Was there for all the wrong reasons. And in 2016, I got clean. You know? Super stuff. All right. Listen, uh, good to catch up. And um, good luck to you, your partner, and your, your little girl. Yeah, thanks, boy. You can pass on my phone number to that down to Darren as well, if you want. Absolutely. To. So I'll certainly I'll, do that. I'll bring him to a meeting any day of the week, you know? I certainly Listen, do that. Thanks, thanks for listening. Take care, Karen. Much obliged. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Great stories of inspiration over the past couple of days. Of that you can be sure. Okay, Ty's been waiting an age. Ty, my apologies. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. And and compliments to those guys there that are uh, getting there and making the recovery. And you, sharing their stories. Oh, yeah. That's so important, you know. Uh, sharing their it's, stories. It's amazing. It's amazing. But I have a perfect solution. If there ever was and one, the, what is it? But, but there is one. And um, it can be done. And the solution is get rid of the circulation of cash. Have everything. Have Ireland. 
um, pass a law that cash will be eliminated. Everything will be plastic. This idea came into my head about two years ago. And on my iPhone, I got the Apple Pay. You know, where you walk up, you just introduce your phone and ding, and it's paid for. And I kind of said, my God, like this is fantastic. And then I kind of would listen to the news every second or third night. And there's a huge drugs raid. And what's the first thing they'll find? Three, four hundred thousand of cash and different things and this and this. And I kind of said to myself, you know what? Like, if cash was eliminated, this problem would be at least halved, if not 90% eliminated. But you're trying to get rid of cash is trying to eliminate drugs. That's insurmountable, really, isn't it? You're you're never going to get rid of either. I mean, it's, it's being reduced, but cash may not be physically in your hand, but... You can still buy and sell drugs using Revolut or using mobile phones or online apps. But come here now. Just think about this. You know, if that gentleman just said there this minute, if you're broke. Now, I'm not saying broke as in having no cash. He, he wasn't talking about like, financially broke. Right. He was talking about being a broken person. Okay, okay. But I just feel that if if the... If money, if cash wasn't in your actual pocket, like if it was in plastic form, it's easier to track and trace. Now, and I know where, you, where your next question is going to come from. You know, you're not allowed to do that with GDPR and traceability and all that. But I firmly believe that if you see somebody that's selling drugs, I'm not talking about the person buying the drugs now, but just say selling the drugs and they have four or five hundred thousand inside in an account. Well, I think that... Well, you, you, do, you, you, you that. do, you do, I mean, you make an interesting point that a lot of the seizures involve cash and drugs. You know, they do. Yeah. They don't, like, they don't, I mean, they, like they see, seize an awful lot of the proceeds of drugs as well. Like you see the big SUVs or the five or ten Rolex yeah. watches and all that kind of stuff. Probably yeah, all yeah. bought for cash, you know. You know. I mean, and Neil, and Neil, just going away from drugs for one moment. Like, there's another side to this, just for our economy as well. You know, all of this kind of cash trade business that goes on, and there's a certain amount of it going on throughout the country, year in year, day in day out. You know, that would be stopped. Oh, you certainly would clean up the black economy without a doubt where everything, you know, because you would have to have bank accounts and everything would be traceable and revenue would have access to it and the government and the banks would be obliged to tell revenue about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, so the, here we're going. So now look here, look what Michal Martin did a number of years ago with cigarette smoking. And they said, well, that'll never happen. Yeah. But look, this, this is possible. And I just think, like, you go in there and you, you, you're getting out your change, both in coins and in notes. Look at the filth and the dirt of it alone. You know, how infectious it can be. True enough. Yeah. Actually, it's an interesting topic that I'd like to get some other opinions on because I actually like cash. I like being in possession of notes. Maybe I'm old school. I don't know. I mean, I do. Well, I, I do I, use I, I plastic be... more and more these days. But I, I still, my oh. default, my default instinct is is for notes. But I would, I would single. I out haven't got sick from it yet. Go. I don't think. Maybe I, did, I, yeah. I would single out the places to go to get my coffee and to get my whatever I want to make sure that they have plastic. I wouldn't go where they insist on having notes. Why? 
because just for the, the dirt of it and the, okay. the inconvenience of it and the having to have it, you know? Like, I have a local takeaway and it's fantastic quality, but the guy will not take plastic. So I don't go to him anymore. That's right. And some chippers are like that, actually. They don't take plastic. You yeah. know? Yeah. But, yeah. like, I just think going back to the drug situation, right. okay. it, it mightn't eliminate it, but by God, I can tell you one thing, it would make life very hard for them. And if Revenue and the Gardaí got any sniff of drug dealers having X amount of money inside them, in their bank account, they'd have to be able to account for it. Okay, thanks, Ty. Appreciate it. And thank you, Kieran, as well. I think that's amazing what Kieran was saying that you could make 200 euro or maybe even 200 euro plus a day begging on the streets of Cork. It's a phenomenal amount of money. Uh, morning, Neil. Please, please try to stay impartial with regards to COVID 19 pandemic. Your tone of voice is downplaying the virus. You are a serious influencer. Try to be neutral, please. Don't encourage complacency. I don't know what I said. Then what time did that come in at? Yeah, I don't know what I said. Oh, I think I have an idea. Was, are you referring to the fact that I said that there are now 14 people in Irish hospitals with COVID-19? Uh, maybe it came across. Well, I suppose, to be honest, it probably did a little bit. I keep on thinking to myself, you know, this is so low now. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. And it's it's affecting such a tiny amount of the population your point would be, we want to keep it that way, right? I'm a frontline worker, and on Sunday I went into Mahon Point Shopping Centre. I was there for an hour. It was as crowded as you'd expect it to be on a Sunday. There was probably two or three hundred people there, lots of queues outside most of the stores. During my time there, I counted three shoppers inside the whole building wearing face masks, one of those behind me. None of the staff and lifestyle were wearing masks, where I saw a lady fitting runners for an adult. That is close contact. I honestly couldn't believe it. Man Point is indoors where physical distancing is impossible on a busy day. So I ask, uh, why are people not protecting themselves? So whilst people begrudge tourists being allowed into the country, which is obviously an economic decision, don't kid yourself, we need to be responsible for our own actions and do what we can to control, like wearing a mask. And that's from a frontline worker visiting Man Point on Sunday. Sounds like we're heading towards a police state, doesn't it? Six months in jail for not wearing a mask? Crazy. It's pretty clear masks are going to make very little difference, if any, but we're focusing on this nonsense, says Brian O'Hearn. There is updated research now saying that um, the COVID-19 virus, the coronavirus, um, hangs in the air. Uh, yeah, and that it's very, very light droplets that can float in the air. Like, say, if you sneezed or coughed, uh, it can be there for minutes. And somebody said on the BBC, perhaps even hours. And that's the reason behind masks. Bus drivers are saying it's not their responsibility to ask people to wear masks, but isn't it their job description to ensure that all passengers are safe? Surely face masks are included in this, says Mike. Yeah, on a technicality, yes, but bus drivers are not there to be getting involved with people and having argy-bargies with people about masks or no masks or getting on the bus or not. That's just my own interpretation of it anyway. It was looking good this morning on local buses that passed me out when I was walking. There was windows open for ventilation too. Uh, morning. Bus drivers don't have to wear a mask as they're in a perspex box. That is, unless they're dealing with a customer outside the box, then they must put on a mask, says a driver. By text to 0868104106. Another driver here. I'm a bus driver. And bus errand are not putting protective screens on any coaches in Cork or across the county. They keep saying they're working on it, but they've been working on it for four months. They don't care about their staff. Are you saying that the coaches don't have the Perspex screens or the, 
the, the enclosed area, while the municipal buses do. Is that what you're saying? Let's open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back after these. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Yes, indeed. Now, delve into more texts and emails on tomorrow's programme, but just one or two more. Um, somebody says they can't understand why uh, bus drivers uh, can't do more. Bus drivers won't let you get on the bus if you don't pay, and they don't seem to complain about policing that. Why would they refuse? Why wouldn't they refuse someone accessing the bus for not wearing a mask? It's mandatory. Why would that be a problem? No pay or no mask should mean no access. It's pretty simple. Uh, I've seen bus drivers getting verbal abuse for asking people to social distance on buses. How come they have to put up with that? Well, you know. I walked into Vibes and Scribes last week and a counter assistant came up to me and asked me to wear a mask. I said to him, put a sign outside the door on future. I think there are. So people can make a decision whether to shop there or not. Then there was a woman just inside the door at Easton's on Patrick Street marshalling the door and telling people they've come in the wrong entry door. Instead of putting a sign on the door outside telling people not to come in that door. Um, if it were me anyway, I wouldn't see the sign. That's one of the things. I just wouldn't see it. Um, and then there are many more on different people. If a passenger is drunk or disorderly, don't allow them. we don't allow them to travel on buses. So it's the same if you're not wearing a mask. We have to enforce the law. Because if we don't, our social distancing laws will go back to two metres. Uh, we can now carry 22 passengers, whereas before we could only carry 11. And that's from another bus driver. So thank you to the bus drivers that also engaged with me over the past couple of days. Um, call from a resident in Castle Townsend, beautiful part of the world. Castle Townsend is full of English tourists and none of them are self-isolating. They're out and about and they are there in their droves. Us locals in Castle Townsend are very nervous at the moment down there. Well, one place where there's plenty of space to move about and to do your own thing is Photo Wildlife Park. And as I was saying earlier on, I have lovely tourist attraction, uh, family passes to give away from lots of different uh, tourist destinations, including Photo Wildlife Park which is open for business and a good place to visit. Mind you, I would imagine nothing like the numbers last year. But these are the times we live in. Um, and down there at Photo Wildlife Park at the end of the phone is Sean McKeown. Sean, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. And how's the season so far? 100 acres of it. How's it going? Um, we're, we're down over 100,000 visitors on last year, so we're, we're feeling it like everybody else. Um, at the moment... Um, we're reasonably busy, um, but nothing like uh, last year in terms of visitor numbers. So, what, what, would that have, would some of those have been overseas? Or are you talking about Irish visitors down, or what? Um, yeah, but we we had about fifteen, sixteen percent of overseas visitors anyway. But um, uh, Irish visitors um, are down. Well, we we're actually reduced uh, numbers. Um, Anyway, so people have to pre-book uh, and pre-pay to come into the park. Um, and we've reduced our numbers visiting to roughly about 50% that we'd, you know, of, of our capacity. Yeah, that's just the way. It is. And that's the way it's going to be for some time in the future, do you think? Or yeah. could could that change, do you think, as part of next Monday's um Well, we, we, we've come to, from a situation where we were uh, only allowing 500 people in. Uh, we're now up to just around a thousand people at any one time. So it's we we grow them slowly. Um, we don't see it growing any. All right, so. okay. But it sounds um, as if it's a great experience then for people who can book ahead. They get more of the park to themselves. Yeah, they they, they have more. Some people obviously 
Um, think you know it's a it can be a bit crowded in places, um, but those areas we have we we have uh, staff members um, making sure that uh, people don't come too close to each other. Okay. Okay. Um, but there's there's large there's very large open spaces in the park. Um, you know we have queuing systems. We you know we don't have our playgrounds open. We don't have our tropical house open, and we don't have any tour trains. So, I understand the trains uh, have stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what so what can people see? Say for somebody who's never been there before. Well, a fantastic um, ambience of the place because you're walking among the, you know, giraffes on one side of you, um, um, European bison on the other. So it looks like an African plains on one side and and, and uh, a European sort of um, grassland area. Uh, then you go down into the Asian area where you've got lots of, uh, you know, you have lions, tigers, rhinos, um, and uh, lots of monkeys from from particularly gibbons, uh, and the gibbons are pretty noisy and do a bit of swinging around the place. Uh, so there, there's lots of activities there. And then we've got our um, a little open air market stalls there that that sell anything from pizzas to teas, coffees, um, you name it. You can you can get it there as well. It but, sounds absolutely uh, idyllic in the way you describe it. There it really and truly does. And the weather should get better from the back end of the week. So an added advantage yeah. in that regard. So, yeah, we, 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 we do pretty well um, regardless uh, because it, it's a pre-booking system. So um, that's booked out. Uh, and, we, we, you know, it's important that people, um, it's booked seven days ahead. So Oh, so you don't have a slot in the next seven days then? No, so people want to be planning for a week in advance. People need to plan a week in advance. Uh, there are slots. Um, we are actually extending our opening times this uh, weekend. So we're going to, we actually open uh, an hour earlier than we normal uh, at nine o'clock uh, already, and we're going to be staying open an hour later till seven o'clock. So we're we're, we're uh, extending the experience for people um, and uh, giving time for um, more people to, to spend more time in the, in the park. Do you think? I mean, this is just as a by the way, it just came into my head. Do you think that the planet got a bit of a break there in the last three or four months? Do you have any thoughts on that? I think this. This is something that's, that's happening uh, all over the world. We're, we're interacting a lot more with wildlife, and um, there, there, um, there are bugs out there that we, we should not be um, interacting with. So uh, places like China, where you've got a lot of uh, food markets, that uh, um, China, Vietnam, etc. There are huge markets where you've got birds, animals that buy them. They're you know they eat them half cooked, uh, and it's only natural that that virus leaps from from the animals to human, which is um, is very naive. So it, it doesn't have really any great immunity against us, and uh, it's not something that we're we're meant to deal with. So I know, I know. Those markets still actively, they're still there, aren't they? They're still there, um, and um, you you know there are areas usually in large cities and towns where um, there is a large congregations of people. So it's it's easy for uh, some of these diseases to get a, a hold. And then once they get into that, and if they start spreading among people, then we've seen more and more of these possible pandemics happen. And unless we respect wildlife and uh, the length, uh, these types of markets, then it's going to happen into the future. It's going to be point. part of our... Yeah. Good point. Um, respect those that we share the planet with. Fair play to you, yeah. Sean. Okay, if people want to book then, maybe a family pass, is it best by phone or online? Um, you can do it online. Um, if you win the family pass, you're better off getting on to, to, to 
and we can we can make a booking for it. Right, thank you so much, Father, and I wish you the best of luck for the rest of the summer. All right, and thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it as always. Sean McKeown at Photo Wildlife Park is a great spot. Ah, yeah, I mean, most people have been there, but it's always a great opportunity to go back again. But if you haven't, you're missing out, just like if you haven't been to Spike. You know, that's somewhere you need to go, or indeed Cork City Jail. And we'll open the phone lines now for a selection of those passes. one 850 Family passes. Get dialing for those. We'll try and clean up after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. I'm just well impressed with Sean McKeown at Photo wildlife park had to say about the pandemic and uh, you know respecting all of the other creatures and animals and species that we share the planet with well impressed with that i'd love to give one of your vouchers to my sister sarah and her partner who should be getting married today but unfortunately had to cancel their wedding you know why i just want to let her know that her time will come again says her sister katie morning my friend karen is a heart transplant patient she's been cocooning since march we're going to have a socially distanced meeting with her on friday and we'd love to be able to give her an oak fire pizza or something to cheer her up says sharon and Clonic guilty. Please give a shout out to my friend Louise Buckley, 40 on Saturday. She should be in America, but because of this, she can't go. If you have any little thing that might cheer her up, I'd love it for her, says Marie. One or two more. A shout out for my wonderful nephew, Vaughn Moore, great name, who's nine years old, an absolute star. On Sunday, he went out and did the Colour Dash 5K, but we ended up doing 6K because I timed it wrong. Kind regards, says Beth. Please mention 89-year-old Eileen O'Callaghan, who's been cocooning since March. She listens to you every single morning without fail, loves the show. She's getting her hair done soon and is like a child at Christmas, says all our family, including Declan. And a quick one, please, have you had one of the day trip vouchers for my grandson? He's a birthday coming up. We had a venue booked for his party and all his friends were coming. But obviously that can't go ahead. His name is Isaac. He'll be eight years old. He's asthmatic. So he's been watching watching himself closely during the lockdown. We'd really appreciate it if you could give him something for his birthday. Says Lorraine O'Sullivan. Thank you so much. Job done on that one. And one final one. Shout out for my parents, William and Emily Green. They've been fantastic since lockdown, even though they have to cocoon, learning how to use technology like Zoom to talk to the grandkids and had to deal with some health issues. But they just got on with it. They've been great for all of us. I'd love maybe if there was a voucher or maybe a trip to be able to get out since lockdown. They're slowly starting to get back to normal. So Sharon from Mayfield. Well, that's Mark's job. He'll sort out as many of as he can. Lines are open for the other tourist uh, family vouchers and passes. So get dialing for those. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.